Well, it's the 17th of July, and um, Joel and I have got a ton of news to talk about in Auto Catch-Up this week, uh, whether it's the um, the tease of the Kia Carnival interior, the BMW iX3, the AMG GT Black Series, um, the new Porsche 911 Turbo, where do we go? The Maserati Ghibli Hit Hybrid, um, huge week of news, and um, like I said, uh, welcome, Joel. Uh, busy week for you. It's... Uh, in Victoria, it's another week of lockdown. Yeah, it's been another big big week of lockdown here in uh, Victoria, Ash. We've got some big numbers, which is a bit scary. And, uh, yeah, it's not, not the best for Victoria at the moment, but we're fighting hard and trying to reduce that as best we can in terms of the testing and everything else we're doing. But I've had a busy week. Uh, I've been playing with lots of classic cars this week. I've been over at Shannon's. So, unfortunately, I'm not driving anything this week, but I've been uh, playing with some really cool cars that Shannon's have got coming up at the next auction. So, uh, yeah, we've had everything from Kingswood wagons to um, a, a great selections of Europeans, BMWs, Mercedes, um, Porsches, uh, Beetles, Carmen Gears, Model A Fords, XT Falcons, Holden DeVille's. Like it's been, wow. it's been a great week. Like, I've been in heaven all week filming these yeah. cars and and working with the with the team over there. It, it's just you just don't get a chance very often to 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 to, to work with the, that many different variety of cars and do experience them and listen to them start. You know, there's a there's an awesome 968 CS Club Sport over there and you know and I even got to sit in an NSX this week. So, you know, it's 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 been a pretty cool week of playing with cars. Like I haven't driven any. I haven't driven anything. I've been <laughs> driven my daily unfortunately, mm-hmm. but just playing with, you know, some some fun stuff and, and listening to them and just crawling around them and, and just checking them out. It's been it's it's pretty cool, but you've been driving. Uh, you've been a Hyundai this week, Ash. The the Tucson Elite. How was that? Yeah, look, it, it took me it took me a few days to um, to get into it, and uh, it certainly wasn't anywhere near. Um, I guess some of the uh, the legendary cars you've been <laughs> you've been playing with, even if you haven't been driving. Um, but uh, uh, it, it was. It took me, f- and the reason why it took me a few days to really to get into it, and I think t- to to start maybe, maybe not enjoy it, but just you know come to to understand it a little bit better because it's 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 not a super exciting medium sized SUV. It it doesn't try and you know, go out to be too sporty or too luxurious. It's kind of like it's 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 a fairly. Um, very tastefully designed like it's not a bad looking car it's very well done through the interior for its price point um but it kind of it doesn't try to 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 be more than what it really is and um but what what kind of caught me out at the beginning is that so this is this model is the the tucson elite and um i don't know about anybody else who's listening but when you say elite i'm i'm, I'm thinking like oh okay cool this is the top of the range you know elite model and um and then i'm like oh this it feels like it's it's a it's a little bit bare on the inside like you know it didn't have um wireless car charging it didn't have an automatic uh like a, a powered tailgate um yeah just those little things that you kind of particularly you know in in that 50 to 60 thousand dollar range um drive away prices you kind of come to get used to 
And um, and then it wasn't until I jumped onto the website just to then look up, well, what is it? I had to go, oh, it's not the top of the line. There's actually one that sits above it, and that's the Highlander. And um, so I'm not too sure where the uh, the naming, I understand that, you know, Highlander. It's weird, though, because Hyundai have had that Highlander name for a couple of years now across both the Tucson and the yeah. Santa Fe. But it's weird that they use, I mean, we kind of know that now because we're, we're working with cars. We understand yeah. that Highlander is their top spec. But yeah. looking at the difference between what you've been driving with the Elite and what you get for the Tucson, for the Highlander, yeah, it's like it's almost 10 grand more for what you get, but you get to go up, you get Autolink Premium, you get 9-inch wheels, you get LED headlights, front park, panorama glass, power power passenger seat, heated and air ventilated seats, mm-hmm. smart power tower gate, which you talked about, the 4.2-inch bigger screen, the wireless charging pad and the heated steering wheel. So, look, you do get a lot more for the 10 grand. Yeah. but like, And, and we were talking about that as well like you know in terms of i think it was volkswagen a couple of weeks ago how you know for for six thousand dollars or something you're, you're getting the the better sound system the 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 um uh, what was it a whole heap of other you know sort of luxury um items and um but yeah it, it like it makes a fairly good value prop um if those things are important like obviously you know the elite isn't um yeah, it's not missing out on a lot of the of the core things. Like it still has your Apple CarPlay. Um, you know, you do. I, I think it's overlooked by by many makers, but it it does have glove box cooling, so it has a little vent that cools down the glove box. So it's perfect um, if you want to throw like a, a water bottle or something in there and just keep it cool. It, it's not like a fridge, but it just keeps it cool, particularly on on really hot days. Um, it's got your rain sense, you know, rain sensing wipers and that, but. For the elite, it just doesn't. It didn't feel very elite. Um, and I was also driving. So there's a number of different engines available as well. Even just in the elite spec, you also have some other um, engine options up and down the whole um, the whole Tucson range. But um, but you have three different engine and transmission options just in the elite alone, which I find a little bit confusing, um, particularly with the the letters that they use in there, um, because they have a 1.6 liter petrol turbo um, with a seven speed dual clutch, and that's an all wheel drive. Then and and they call that the TGDI. They've got a two liter petrol GDI, which isn't turbo, and it's got a six speed auto and in two wheel drive. And then the third one is a diesel, and that's a two-liter CRDI eight-speed auto, and that's an all-wheel drive. And um, for me, when I first glanced at it, I'm like, "Oh, are these all diesels or what?" Because I'm so trained by other brands such as um, Volt, you know, Volkswagen. I think is probably for me the most obvious one, where it's like, or even Audi, where it's like, if it's TFSI, that's petrol, and it's if it's got a D somewhere in there, that's usually, you know, that indicates it's a diesel. Um, but, yeah, so I found, you know, it, it does jump up. There is about a $3,000 difference between, like, that entry level in the elite range of that 2-litre petrol with the 6-speed and 2-wheel drive to go up to that 1.6-litre petrol turbo. Um, and I do feel just based on that two liter petrol that I was driving, um, that I think you would definitely benefit from paying that small premium to jump into that petrol, 
um, with the turbo and the better um, transmission, just because it just it felt just a little bit underpowered. It wasn't it, once you got moving, it was perfectly fine. But when you're leaving from the lights, or when you needed to, um, you know, quickly jump out and and um, get around something or anything like that, it just felt like you you wanted so much more from it, and it didn't feel like you were gaining much of a a fuel economy advantage either from from that you know from that other engine but there's a big um, price difference in that range you start up the active at 28,000 just under 29,000 yeah. yeah. to 51 for the Highlander yeah. so you know I, I suppose it, look it's a big price difference between between that range but absolutely depending on if you're in the market for that mid-size SUV mm. then if you've got a budget of 30 or a budget of 40 or a budget of 50, then there's something that'll do everything because they're still well-specced across the board. Um, like the Active X is probably one of the best spec over the Active. Um, yeah. because for for has, a very small premium of about, what was it, $3,000? Yeah. You pick up a lot. It's um, money well spent for what it is. But then to go for the Elite, it does get a couple of extra nice things that you would get. But, you know, in terms of, you know, we're lucky we get to drive stuff that has, you know, generally is pretty well spec. Mm-hmm. So it's that extra bits and pieces that you look at. But if, you know, if, if a dealer is good and it has a variety of specs in stock, then you can go in and, and see the difference and, yeah. and try the difference and experience what the difference is that you're getting for your money. Mm. Um, you Particularly know, when, like, you know, we were talking about that um, that price difference of about $10,000 between the Elite and the Highlander. Now that price difference is with that petrol, that two-litre petrol two-wheel drive. And um, so if you're looking at the Elite with the turbo petrol, in the all-wheel drive, I think that's about that forty-five thousand dollars drive away. So all of a sudden, that price difference between the Elite and the Highlander starts to get a little bit slimmer. Um, and so it then just comes down to what your budget allows versus, you know, that that marginal cost um, to make the leap up. But it's oh. also worth noting in the Tucson. So in the Elite and the Highlander, you can't, it's automatic or, or dual clutch transmission only. Um, but in the uh, in the active and the active X, those those two um, lower models, you do get the option of that two liter petrol with the six speed manual. Which is um, so pretty it might good be to, to have that option if you want it. I mean, most people I think today will probably you know most yeah, people are buying within absolutely. that city area, so you're probably more than likely to go um, auto. But yeah. the ability to have manual available in two different spec levels mm. is pretty good. Like yeah. you don't see that very often. No. So, look, you know, I, it, it took me a few days to warm up to it. And by the end of the weeks, you know, by the end of spending that week with the car, I actually grew to just, I think, go, look, yeah, I could I could live with this day to day. You know, driving to the gym, driving to the city, driving to the shops, um, you know, doing the run to school. Um, there's, there's plenty of boot space. I do like... Um, in the back, not many car makers do this, but with the um, the the cover for the um, the luggage compartment in the back, it is very easy to to remove and take out completely and to store away, as well as you know, and in, in, in the sides so they've got different spots of where you can actually install it. So if you want to have those rear that second row of seats um, reclined back a little bit more, you can actually adjust that. Um, that cover to accommodate that or to move it to to get more boot space or even there's a space in the bottom at the front of the boot where you can actually put it, put it down if you don't want it at all, but you want to carry it with you. 
um, and it and it kind of acts as like a a barrier, you know, like a lip on the edge of the boot. Um, so if you want, if you might have something that wants to is a little bit bulky, but you don't want to roll out when you open that boot if you're on a sliding incline. I've, I've had that happen. Um, you, know, you can almost use that as like a, a little bit of a lip. Um, so that's that's kind of like things where they've they've taken. A, there's a little bit of consideration there. There's plenty of cup holders. There's um, a rear USB plug. Um, so if there's only a, one, just the one. Okay. Um, so it's it's better than just having um, a, a cigarette lighter. You know, like a twelve volt. Yeah in the back just because not everyone wants to rush out and buy a, you know, a, a Belkin um, USB plug or anything like that. Um, so, you know, for that, just the one. So you can't have multiple, obviously, in the back, but it's um, it's it's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, so and, and the heated mirrors, I think, is probably one. It is a nice little bonus. You do pick that up yeah. in the active not so mix. Not so much probably with you guys up north, but definitely in Victoria. I oh, would, we, I would, we do. We, yeah? Okay. When it gets a little bit colder, so like the last few weeks or so, we because of the humidity we have up here, we do get a little bit of – it's not frost, but we do get a lot of moisture on things. So if you do park your car out on the street or um, on the driveway and it doesn't have a carport, you will come out with a lot of water on the car. So yep. um, being able to get rid of that that fog that's on, that builds up on the – on the mirrors is a nice touch um, as well, even even up here. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's been interesting. I do jump up. I did pick up today. I did swap that out and jumped into the Santa Fe Highlander. Um, okay, so, so top spec, yeah. So it's bigger brother in the top spec. So it's um, it will be interesting just to see what that little bit of extra money and that little bit of extra size really gets you from a from a passenger. Mm-hmm point of view um immediately the biggest thing i did notice is the the larger you know the better more appropriate engine for the size of the vehicle feels so what's that got in it uh so that's the uh let me look it up just but it's the i looked it up just not too long ago hang on sorry but it and it's the one time when you want to look at what it is and it doesn't give it to you Yeah, so it's a 3.5 liter V6. Oh, the V6. Yeah, that's a really nice um, um, setup in that thing. Yeah, and it is an eight-speed automatic as well. Um, it is just the two-wheel drive, which I do find interesting. Okay. Um, so it is if you want all-wheel drive in the Santa Fe, uh, in that Highlander, you do need to go to the the diesel. Um, the okay. Two liter diesel to get the all. Uh, which is not a bad thing. And a diesel still a pretty good setup. No. But, you know, the thing is, like, I think um, most people will be happy unless, you know, you do live um, down south and you do encounter, um, you know, various, bit more varied weather than we do up here. The all-wheel drive will come into its own. Where mm. up here, you probably, you know, in Queensland and northern parts of Australia, get away with the, the two-wheel drive in most yeah. situations. Depends on what you're using it for. Like, if you're doing if you're doing long Ks like Mick does, you know, in terms of where he is from sort of Brisbane and stuff like that, I, and particularly in the wet, I... I like the uh, the ability of having that all wheel drive, but mm. like you said, if it's if it's a, if it's the second car in the family, or it's designed to just do city runs and things like that, the two wheel drive is fine with that V six. It's it's not it's not crucial in in that respect, but um, it's good that the option is there. 
Yeah. And it is. So that, and it's, you know, it's not too, I'm going to say not too huge, but it's it's not a significant um, jump in terms of price, even to the Highlander. So um, Highlander petrol is 63-ish, 64-ish thousand drive away, um, depending on where you are. So it's um, if you do need that extra space and, and, and you do want some of those extra features, you know, it, it's it's not a it's not a devastating price difference um, between the slightly larger Santa Fe compared to the Tucson. So you can do a little bit of cross shopping as well, depending on exactly what your needs are. But we can talk about that a little bit more. Let's um let's jump onto some news. Mick had to attend to some emergencies at home um, involving. Sorry, we lost a, lost him this week. That's <laughs> it. He was here and then he had to duck out because. Um, uh, we'll let him explain next week. <laughs> there were some maintenance, maintenance issues that needed to be attending to. Yeah. Um, but look, and if there's any of this, uh, if, you, if you do want us um, here at Auto Catch Up to, to review a specific car or cover any specific news, or even if you've got some some questions, feel free to give us an email or, or drop us a message on social media. Um, you can email us at um, shows at dailyautofix.com and um, we'll be happy to, to to answer those in a in a future episode. Um, but let's let's jump to some of this news. We've got a bit of news, and um, of course, uh, form- this week. <laughs> it's a lot of Formula One stuff. I'm, I've had a few late nights the last few weeks, <laughs> and it's not going to stop for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, let's um, let's th- get straight into it. It seems like um, following on. <sighs> From uh, the exterior teasers um, and and view that we got of the Kia Carnival, um, Kia have been gracious enough to show us what the uh, what the interior looks like. I like the new look. It's it's quite it's quite nice. It's it's going that it's well. I kind of have to say it's kind of very Mercedes. Uh, that whole yeah. one screen style from you know the 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 whole one piece from the dash across to the center console. Mm. It looks like it's a one big piece screen. It looks really really good. So, tear of um, not ever shot away from being more sort of aggressive with their style. You know, they even say it's a wide wraparound dashboard, um, you know, in terms of what they're doing. So um, a 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment, mm. uh, very, very cool. So I think, you know, the, the Carnival's been one of those cars that, that's done well for Kia, but, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But it's not broken, but they're still fixing it. Like, yeah. they're I, really... I think it's, it's, it's really showing that the um, both Kia and Hyundai, the have been very strategic, you know, a number of years ago in making hires of, you know, designers that have worked at premium premium brands in the past. And rather and and rather than sort of hamstring them and, and and just by having the name attached to that design or, you know, the design language, they've actually allowed it seems like anyway, that that it, they have actually allowed them to create some great interiors and some great exterior design. Um yeah, when you look at that, the, the, the new look of what the carnival is going to look like, yeah. it's it's amazing. Like it's it's been a good looking car for the last couple of years, but the fact now that it's taken that next step, and, and we talked about it when they released the first sort of designs of the new model, it's yeah. it's really futuristic, and and that's yeah. what they're saying about this new interior. But the whole exterior is just 
we talked about it that it has a bit of an American styling feel yeah. to it, but mm -hmm. I really like the look that they're going. And we can kind of see that in sort of in Celtos and, and Stinger and stuff like that, that they're really trying to, yeah. to go that really uplifted design mm -hmm. from, from mm -hmm. what they've been doing. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what this carnival looks like in the, in the metal once, uh, once yeah. we get them here in Oz probably next year. And look, I don't think uh, Hyundai or Kia would be necessarily too happy about making this comparison, but I can also see a little bit of um, uh, some Genesis inspiration in that interior yeah. as well. I, I think a few, you know, they haven't done a, a, a racing point Mercedes kind of situation, but you can see that there are some common elements in there that really tend to... From from photos anyway, until we see it in person, you know it's it's going to be a different yeah. thing as well. But um, really seems to to lift, um, you know, the overall look and feel of it. So I'm 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 happy and um and I and I envision that they'll probably keep pricing fairly fairly competitive as well. So that's you know so that's that's always a good thing when it comes. But to But I think I think the interesting thing is actually is what we're seeing in this sort of carnival. Um, Design. Are we going to see this in other keys? Like, are we going to see this kind of technology move into, say, the Stinger or the next generation um, Sorento and things like that? Like, is surely, this is surely you have to because Kia is is one of those brands that have done a pretty good job of creating consistency across their models. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't I can't imagine that they wouldn't because. If this is the future of Kia, then wow, it's like next level in yeah. terms. Like, you know, you get into, like, I've rented a couple of Kias just as rental cars, and, and you, you get into it. You know that if you get a Kia at the, the check in disc, you, and you know, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to have everything that I want. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's it's plug and play. I've had two in the last 12 months as, as rentals, and you just know that it's like, oh, I'm going to get Apple CarPlay. You know, I can plug it in the way you go. But the next level, this next design yeah. kind of, you know, that they're talking about is, is, pre is pretty cool, yeah. like in terms yeah. of what it is. Yeah, and and look, you know, I think it's pair that with their their warranty, their servicing. Um, yeah, it makes it pretty hard to ignore, and um, yeah, it just really puts pressure on a lot of other more premium manufacturers as well. Like it, for a long time, they've they've been like, oh, we use you know high you know high quality materials, and our technology is you know it's a lot better. And 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 you start to look at them, and you start to do those comparisons today, and you go, yeah, maybe they use that a little bit you know better grade of leather or something like that. But um, when it comes to the touch points and the bits that you always use day in day out for most people they're gonna feel like well why would i pick the more expensive one when this looks just as good feels just as good and has all you know all of those wow features um that other brands used to sort of tout about of what made them special um so i think it's uh yeah I still go back and go, wow, I, I, I never really thought that, you know, would be that excited about, you know, a Kia, you know, um, you know, unless, you know, go back five, six, seven years ago, I don't think we'd be talking as enthusiastically as, a, as we are now. No, exactly. And it's been one of those models that we've kind of 
watched for you know the last few years is is just really risen and, and you know yeah. I've been watching them for for the last few years and you know it's one of those things now you, both Kia and he and I they've come so far um I remember driving my my second ever car was a was yeah. a Hyundai, and back then they were pretty basic and stuff like yeah. that. But now it's, you know, they're they're comparison to like you say to the Europeans and everything else. Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing. So, but we go from um, from the well, Koreans this... to the to the Europeans. Ash. Yeah. So this is so this is the funny thing. So BMW have announced the pricing and and um, the specs for the updated five series, um, and it is somewhat a fairly significant facelift um that you know we don't normally see um so i think there's been a bit of technology that they've you know had come through in the last 12 to 18 months that have really you know been able to allow them to really beef up this particular model release but it's funny we've been making those comparisons and so what they're saying is the one of the big features you know it's the second line in the press release um, and it says the new 5 Series features significant upgrades to its interior and technology aspects with a larger 12.3-inch control display headlining the suite of revisions to the cabin. And we've just mentioned that the incoming Kia Carnival has two 12.3-inch displays. Um, so it's a... It's kind of funny, um, you know. There's sorts of comparisons. Of what they're saying is, what is a, yeah. you know, what is a really big draw card. But um, but look, so there's 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 a lot of um, a lot of updates. So there is a quite a large range of models now in the five series. So you have your entry level five twenty i, which starts at ninety five nine hundred plus your your own roads on roads. Um, you have got the five thirty i, the five thirty diesel. Then you've also got um, the five thirty e plug in hybrid electric. The M550i xDrive and then the M550i xDrive Pure. So you've certainly got a wide breadth of models. It's good to see you've got a plug-in hybrid in there. Then you've got your, you know, your luxury sports saloon without jumping up to the M5 and the M550. Um, but yeah, what do you what do you think of this? What do you what do you think of the new? Yeah, look, it's series? interesting. It's good to see that we're getting the five thirty D because the five thirty D up until recently had only been a police special. Yeah. So we were getting the five twenty D, but the five thirty D had been used by, for example, the Victorian Police Force and stuff like that. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's really cool that that BMW are doing, like you said, a five twenty I, a five thirty I, a five thirty D, a five thirty E, PF. Uh, an M550i X Drive and an M550i X Drive Pure, and we talked about Pure last week with the with the two series that they're doing. Um, yeah, look, BMW know how to spec cars uh, and, and what they're doing. Yeah. The the PHV with the extra boost um, is, is interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the the electric stuff later in the show with some of the other stuff that's coming out in, in the market. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um, it's it's. Pretty cool. The five series is a is a is a sexy looking car. This new design we've talked about before, which is arriving here in October. Um, I yeah, do I, like their new hero color. That that yeah, green, that green is green. really nice. Yeah. The one that's in the press release is a is a really nice color. It's 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 different. I, I like that BMW like to do something sort of different with their colors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this pure idea is quite good because you know for those that don't want 
all everything. They don't want to tick every box. You know, the M50, the M550i X Drive Pure um, pulls out some of that more expensive spec, which is good. If you want to spend the money, then it's excellent. But if you don't and you want to buy a 5 Series that doesn't have everything in it, like, you know, some of the um, yeah, suspension so, so in, in and the, the, the... You drop out the uh, BMW laser line with, with the selective beam, even though I think that's one of the most exciting pieces of tech. But you lose that, the electric glass sunroof, the metallic paint, soft close function doors, um, the instrument panel finished in leather. Um, so they're the key things that you kind of drop out. And if you just want a pure driving experience and saving yourself, you know, about $15,000 whilst you're doing it over the non-pure model, um, it's a pretty good way to do it. And even mm. if you look at the 530 diesel in terms of the pricing hierarchy, so the 530 diesel is 195 kilowatt, kilowatts with 620 newton meters of torque, 0 to 105.7 seconds with a with a list price of 125,900. But if you jump up to the M550i, not only do you go to the X-Drive, which is all-wheel drive, you get the 4.4-litre V8 um, twin-power turbo petrol at 390 kilowatts, 750 newtons, 0 to 103.8 seconds, 437,900. Um, so in terms of like your power-to-price kind of ratio, it's, it's pretty good buying um, if you want to have that little bit more of, I guess, excitement um, in, in that lineup without jumping up to, to the M5, which is a huge price jump. Yeah, it's interesting. It's quite a big range from 95 to 152 yeah. for the full, full range. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. But, yeah, they're um, – uh yeah it's 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 a good it's a good range like you know bmw like to have a a good range of models and Mm -hmm. stuff like that in terms of you know being able to spec uh, again like having that choice depending on what you want whether you want to add and subtract different bits and pieces um it's it's quite good for you know for what our options are so um but going from basically being something that's kind of a more of a, a a sports BMW to something that's electric, Ash. Yeah, so um, this has kind of been a a long time coming for BMW, Um, but their iX3, so their electric um, X3, uh, which the name would would suggest is uh, is coming in mid 2021. So it um it's a 210 kilowatt 400 newton meter um set of electric driven motors, a range of up to 460 kilometers, which is pretty pretty decent. It's kind of pretty know, good. It's it's uh, what I would say is um for a, for an SUV kind of the minimum range you want these days the the kona ev is very similar in terms of range um and i think that's comfortable enough for most people driving to get you know uh, about five days you know a typical week out of it mm. before needing to go and charge um you know if you are just going to the shops and you know to the city and that kind of thing i think that that suits most people fine um but yeah it, it certainly i think it it's get we're getting to the point now where it looks like an X3. Yes, there's some key styling 
differences that will help you know most people that know what they're looking at be able to pick it out but i reckon to most people you'd sneak by and go oh that's a fairly interesting x3 rather than going oh look at him he's driving an electric vehicle um so i think it's been a, it's an interesting a smart move from them uh to, to perhaps attract some of those people that don't want to feel like they're driving a a, a weird futuristic kind of car and they just want to drive something that's fairly normal but also um be getting into those electric electric vent um, but i like for those of us in the know we can actually pick it because those wheels that they're using now on this series of vehicle these quite noticeable as being an you know an i series Mm. um it's a sexy looking car like it's probably like i love the i3 but yeah. this iX3 is another level. It's really cool that sort of blue streak below the door lines, the the very futuristic style wheels and stuff like that. Like this is this is cool. Like in terms of what BMW have done with the range that they're giving, um, you know, my parents currently have a um, an X3. Um, this would be perfect for them mm. if they could set up the, the biggest the biggest thing with this sort of stuff, particularly in Australia, is the charging infrastructure. Um, yeah. In terms of what what they're being able to do, um, in terms of having it set up. So you know, if, if for for people that have got the that are willing to do the investment in the infrastructure. Like if you're wanting to put power in and a battery in your home, we talked a bit about about it last week mm. with the with the Nissan and the Leaf. If you want to set up a, a solar system, a solar charging, a solar system at home, a solar power system and a battery system or ability to charge into your grid, this is brilliant because it's 460 Ks of range. It's an SUV, so there's space. Um, it's the perfect kind of car for those that are living, I want to say, sort of outside of metropolitan cities because you need the ability to be having your own home effectively mm-hmm. um, to set up the charging network. But, you know, if you're – I mean, it's hard at the moment with COVID because so many people are working from home. But you, in even then, it's probably even better because if you're only doing the – the runs to the shops or running to the beach or whatever, you, you're not going to use 460 Ks no. in one day. Yeah. Um, and this is the other thing is, is that people that have bought into BMW or have been a BMW owner for a while will go, Hey, it's an electric BMW. It's an issue V. Mm-hmm. I'm interested because yep. I've had a model, I've had an, a, 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 an X1 or an X3 or an X5 and I want to, I want to go electric. Mm. Uh, that kind of range is brilliant because you're not going to use that in a day. You're like, yeah. sure, if you live where you are, Ash, in Queensland, you might want to go up the coast, but you're not going to use, again, 400 Ks in a day. Um, exactly. It's, well, well it's, that's right. Like I can, I can do a trip from from Brisbane up to Maroochydore, um, and comfortably get back to a to a faster charger closer to Brisbane in um, the uh, Ionic EV from Hyundai. Um, so once you jump up to about four hundred sixty kilometers of range, you go, okay, that's you. When you start to think about, you know, and we had this when um, we had further restrictions in terms of how far you can drive and, and that kind of thing, you start to go, okay, what's my two hour or one hour radius, etc. And you start to go, okay, that's that's a fairly decent um, decent way, but it's also it's 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 not 
as far as you think. Like 460 is a fairly solid day out of driving. Um, but also what Bindo have done here, I think, is taking a look at how can they shape that interior, you know, that that passenger experience as well. With, and some people look at this and go, ah, oh, no, who cares? But if you haven't driven an electric car before, what you the big the first thing that you notice is just how silent things are uh-huh. and in in certain cars it's just you turn it on you put it in reverse and and there you go um hyundai have done a little bit to to creating a little bit of feedback and 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 how the car communicates to you but being they have kind of taken that that step further so they've actually worked with you know by completely engineering and working with people like Hans Zimmer um the the film score you know the person who who writes a lot of the film scores that you're probably very familiar with um in in creating an experience from when you hit that start stop button to when you're driving and then when you finally come back and you know when you reach your destination so the thought about how can how can we enhance that passenger experience and give everybody in the car some form of feedback in a way and, and they've done it in a way of like how can we make it as inviting um and 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 specifically you know tune you know what they call like a, a gently filtered acoustic response um you know whether that's and it's, you're right it's, it's, braking it's, smart. All that kind of stuff. it's smart thinking in terms of what they're doing and, and and building that user experience absolutely in what they're doing but like just talking about what you were saying before in terms of range, like I just did a couple of calculations. I could happily go from here to the Great Ocean Road to Lawn and back in a day and have extra range left over. I yeah. could go down the morning to Peninsula um, and back in a day. So, like, it's really cool with the fact that the range that this is getting, everyone talks about range anxiety, but if you're set up at home, and I think that's the hardest thing, is if you're living in an apartment, it's hard because you don't have that charging infrastructure. But charging infrastructures are getting so much better now. Like Charge Fox with what they're doing um, and the infrastructure they're installing, particularly here in Victoria that I've mm. noticed, um, you can now charge something fairly easily and fairly fast um, in a short period of time to top up that extra range that you may need. Like the RACV clubs in Victoria are working hard to be able to provide their charge network if you want to call in and stop to them. Look, it's hard with COVID because obviously people are very particular about allowing you to go into to buildings and stuff like that. But in a perfect world, being able to just stop and charge, you know, check your phone, check emails, um, you know, call people or whatever you need to do. It doesn't take much to top these things up. So, um, yeah, it's it's impressive. So I'm excited to see this thing come here. I've driven the i3. I absolutely loved it. Um, I was I, I had the ball driving that thing. It was just it made me smile all day that I drove it. Um, so the fact that you look at the fact that there's an iX3, which is a bit bigger. You know, it, it's the perf- It's the perfect vehicle in that respect. Look, it's not perfect, I suppose, if you're a family like Mickey where you've got, yeah. you know, a few more kids and stuff like that. It's not big in size. But if you're a sort of double-income, no-kids family and, you know, you've got a dog or whatever and you're living in, in a suburban um, CBDs, this thing is just brilliant in terms of what it'll do, um, 
And as I said, if you've got the ability to have solar at home and yeah. have a battery system and stuff like that, this thing is really cool. Um, we're talking to, for us here in Oz, mid next year. Um, look, I think come next year, I think the market for electrics is just is just going to grow. Like in terms of what it is, like Tesla had a had a, 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 a you know a real group on this market, but now you know Mick's been driving the. Um, well, you guys have both been driving the um, the Kona of late and, and stuff like that. Like you know, and you talked about the Ionic. Um, there's just so much stuff. I've driven the Mini E. Uh, there's just that electric thing has come so far now that it's becoming more and more in our face as consumers that there's more of them appearing and stuff like that, that it's only going to get better for our market. Absolutely. Um, and and if, if, you know, if we stay within these sort of COVID restrictions of, of having to work more from home, mm-hmm. the ability to, to need to do kind of, Big K's in one day to go and to, to, to do some, um, you know, adventure stuff. You know, 400 K's is, is more than enough to do in a day with the charge network and stuff like that. So awesome. BM, when they're here, can we can we please drive one? I, I'm keen. <laughs> I'm keen to drive an IX3. I think they're uh, they're pretty cool. So I think I'll, when I'm talking to the BM guys, BMW guys next, uh, I'll be telling them how excited I am for um, you know. Uh, for for well, this it's, model, it's it's a, it's a big step forward for BMW because also um, yeah we've had the i3 which is their their small um, you know get around the city type car. They've got the i8 um, which is their the hybrid vehicle supercar if you want to sort of call it that. Um, and then they've had you know the 530e and a couple of active hybrid vehicles, but they really have. Um, haven't really gained a huge amount of traction here outside of the i3 and the i8 um and even then you know in australia we haven't seen it on particularly huge numbers but that's i think that's you know that comes with uh being an earlier generation type um electric and and hybrid vehicles however this has been really this is going to be i think a fairly monumental car for bmw because it is what i would regard as like their first real mass market crack at a at a an electric vehicle um, that should hopefully have up to updated tech because it's also something they've acknowledged in the past that, yeah, we've, we've kind of um, dropped the ball a little bit on their electric technology and um, their offerings of electric vehicles. So I think this is going to be a fairly significant model for them and um, hopefully is, is a great sign of things to come. I know that they're working on um, a few other models, a part of like that, that I-4, um, as well as a few other models. So I'm fairly optimistic. What I'm seeing on paper in the press releases, obviously is, you know, they've, they've scripted them the way they've done it, but I'm, I'm fairly optimistic based on looking at that, comparing it what else what is in the market, um, and I think um, if the pricing is right, and that's always a you know the thing that tends to make or break exactly these pricing is always the important thing. Um, if, if they can get the pricing right, and it is you know I I feel like it would have to be in line to a you know those higher end 
X3 models, you know, and they've got a little bit of room to play in there. But if it hits that kind of point and it doesn't carry too huge of a premium, I think it will do quite well. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's got to be in that. It's got to be in that price premium of an an X3 model. It's got to be whether it's got to be set of five grand at the top top level if it needs to be. Absolutely. Um, it's got to be within that rate because uh, I know that you know, particularly for speaking like my parents, if they bought this, would be perfect for them because they don't do massive Ks. But if they could install, and I, I actually even had the conversation with them, I need to probably have that with their beach house that they have. Uh, if they were to install solar in a battery system, yeah. it would be perfect um, for them because they could literally drive there. The battery could be storing power. They could then literally charge the, the LX3 up and it would be you know cheap cheap driving for them in terms yeah. of what it is. So, um, But, yeah, it, it, it's cool. But we go from, uh, from electric to ballistic, would you yeah, say, I was Ash? Bonkers. Um, <laughs> so if <laughs> the AMG GT is, uh, you know, it's it's a favourite car of mine. I just love the design. Um, not, and, and it strikes a different chord to say like the SLS that came before it with the gold wing doors. I think, you know, similar kind of track, but but different design philosophies. But, um, but it's kind of reaching the GT now. It's kind of reaching its its end of life until we either see a new model or a um, a different interpretation of what their you know their super GT. I think it'll be a different be. interpretation, really. Won't yeah, it? and um, but so basically, what comes towards the end, particularly for these types of AMG vehicles, is the um, the the very special badge called the Black Series, and um, this is basically their way of going this is the best um version of the car that we can create and um, we're going to make it in limited numbers and um you know and everybody else is going to last after it and um if i could sum it up in, in in a pretty short way is that if you like the look of their g of the amg gt gt3 vehicle that they race you're gonna love this you're gonna love the looks you're gonna love the tech because basically a lot of the active aero the um some of the engine tech which they're using it is directly they pulled it straight out of their gt3 racing car and whacked it into a production car which i think is just insane the um the v8 engine is a flat crankshaft um with 537 kilowatts or 730 horsepower in the old money um and it gets a combined fuel consumption of 12.8 liters per 100 um so it's uh yeah i love it it looks great um i'd love to see that they've done some more innovation in terms of the engine and how the car works so they haven't just gone hey look we're gonna bore it out a little make it a little bit you know um graded displacement or, or whack some turbos on it it's actually the basically you know rated done a little bit of raid the parts bin you know and also go hang on who's sitting around who needs you know out of their best team are going who wants to to push this thing a little bit further and come up with some new ideas and basically this is what um we've come up with so it's yeah it's uh pretty special 
I think. What do you What do you think, uh, Joe? Yeah, look, the Black Series has been a favourite of mine for years. I was lucky enough to drive a an early gen Black Series. Um, it's funny, it, Black Series is one of those things. It wasn't until I think Clarkson talked about it on Top yeah. Gear many years ago. Yeah. I think he bought one um, that you kind of kind of black series really became onto my radar. Um, and then I was lucky enough to drive an early generation one and yeah, I've never driven anything that kind of had that uh, aggressive effect that it was just, you, you drive it, you put your foot down just for a second. The whole thing would just like squeal on the road. It was just, you know, one of those cars that was just absolutely brilliant in terms of brutal in terms of power and stuff like that. And and the Black Series has kind of continued from there and it's kind of had it's kind of gone up and down. There were certain models that's like, well, why are you doing a black series of this? But a AMG GT makes sense to go Black Series because it is the ultimate. It is the, you know, the SLS is cool. Like I, I like the SLS as a race car or as a GT car. Um, it's sexy as. Um, the AMG GT kind of lost that appeal a little bit, I think, when it lost its goal wing. Mm-hmm. But the fact, I think it's got a back now. It's got its presence with going to the Black Series. Um, I think I think the GT kind of went um, a slightly different route of being a slightly more sophisticated GT vehicle. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not saying that the SLS isn't um, because it is a Mercedes after all. And I think, you know, um, they... Well, the SLS that- was a unique... I think that was the other thing because the SLS had the gullwing doors and I think that well, was, was kind of cool. it was going for a heritage. It was also, yeah. you know, it was going back to the 300 SL. Um, it was, it was, I feel like anyway, it's going out to, to achieve something slightly different and it just ended up being something that worked really, really well. You know, even now they're extremely hard to find and when they do come up for sale, they're um, insanely priced and most people that I know who have one um, are like, I'm not letting go it's 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 staying um and i think that was the thing is that aim that amg mercedes went into that thing they wanted to release that kind of two-door sports car that was unique the amg gt i think was kind of like the sls was our 4a you like that cool okay we're going to do the 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 gt and i think the gt is is kind of cool like i saw one i think today when i was sort of briefly out on the road um and you know, the thing is, I think the thing, the cool thing, I think, for Mercedes is they still hone on that flat crankshaft. Yeah. That flat crankshaft noise is so unique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. They talk about in this press release of the, the Black Series, combined fuel consumption is 12.8 litres per hundred. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, how much are you, you know, like if that's like, you know, good driving and that's great like that's pretty impressive but you know honestly if you're in an amg gt black series you, you, you won't really be g- that number <laughs> no no i think you got to you, you it's designed to be driven like it's not yeah. designed to be sort of taking it off but that flat pane noise is is unique i remember when they put them in the um in the Mercedes supercar from when they're running under under 
you know, V8 supercars sort of style of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it was pretty cool. But, yeah, look, it, it's it's great to see the Black Series is back. Um, nice work, Mercedes. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. And, yeah, I, I'll be keen to, to hopefully see one on the – a few on the road um, here once they kind of land here. So, Well, I think that's the key thing with the GT compared to the SLS. I see, um, like, even – you know, I was a lot younger when the SLS was about, but – I just don't remember seeing, and they sold in a lot fewer numbers. The GT here was um, a a fairly typical production car versus the SLS. Um, But I find a lot more people out and about driving the GT as a a daily car. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that's, that's probably the key thing that the GT had been also made for is just a little bit more, um, you know, palatable. Now, would you probably go out and daily the the black series? Maybe not. Like it's yeah, I'll look at, I still you think probably you could, would, but yeah. um you know, it's it the photos make it look like the GT three, like it's even got the wing um as big and so I'm sure it'd be a nightmare getting it past ADR. Um <laughs> But and I'm sure you you might even be pulled over a few times because I'm sure a lot of a few police might go ah, it doesn't look legal, even though it absolutely is. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the hero shots they show it on the racetrack. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well done. It's it's going to kill tires. It's going to sound great. Um, it's going to go go like hell. And um, yeah, hopefully we see a few. Hopefully they don't get just uh, bought up and, and put into to garages and collections. No, I think I think with the way that these models are now, I think they're going to be the kind of thing that we're going to see on the road. I think yeah. um, more and more people are going to kind of do that sort yeah. of stuff. So, uh, but in terms of uh, things that we'll probably see on the road, but um, we got a, I don't know, some some car manufacturers at the moment um, felt like they. Uh, <laughs> Most most when they, when they release a new model or you know um, get excited about a facelift, they'll send a single press release and go, "Here's everything that's new." But um, it seems like a Range Rover um, with the facelift, uh, Land Rover didn't really uh, hold back on the press releases to try and get the message across that they've got a new vehicle. Um, so, from what we can tell, out of what was it six or seven. Uh, two, three, four, five, six, six press releases that basically there's an updated uh, Range Rover Sport. Um, it's got some updated model uh, engines and SVSVR updates. Um, yeah, all I can probably recommend is uh, go Google it because um, they've put a lot of info, which is which is great, but um, it's kind of uh, easy to get lost in... Uh, you know, in, in a novel's worth of uh, press releases. Yeah, the, the basic thing <laughs> is that they've got a new um, inline six-cylinder diesel, uh, a 48-volt mild hybrid electric um, tech, which is cool. It's good to see that um, mm. Land Rover are following that uh, MHEV tech uh, thing. They've also got a special edition SVR. Hey, if you talk Range Rover or Jag or anything SVR, I'm listening. You know, those kind of things are pretty cool. So there's a new SVR carbon edition. Uh, that's coming out as well. Um, and the, the P400 PVEV uh, provides 41 Ks of EV range with a fuel economy of 3.3. Hey, who would have thought you would have got 3.3 litres per 100 out of a Range Rover? Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's good to see that Range Rover is really sort of pushing for that um 
sort of that mild hybrid style of of, of engine. Um, and well, and it's also kind of like what Porsche have done, isn't it? They've yeah they've introduced the e hybrid. Um, yeah, they've introduced the hybrid model, basically to to slowly introduce customers and 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 um, and uh, potential buyers in, into the idea of going look. Um, Here's here's a taste of of um of where we're heading, um, and we've put it into a model where you can actually get some real tangible benefit out of it today, and um and usually with these hybrid models you do pick up a little bit of better performance in addition to the better, um fuel economy figures as well, and um obviously with it. I'd be curious to see if um, those electric motors will help in heading off-road. Obviously, you'll carry a little bit more weight, but that that bonus of the torque that you pick up surely is a is a is an advantage when you go to you know if you do venture off-road. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing is that they're um, you know it's. It's broadening that range because, you know, we've got to admit that so many of these Range Rovers will probably never leave the streets uh, in, in terms of what they're, yeah. in what they're doing. But um, the fact that they're going down this hybrid route, and we've already talked about that t- t- tonight and, and we're going to talk about it again with a couple other models. But, you know, with the with the... With more and more pressure on manufacturers to reduce their their overall numbers as a brand in terms of their fuel economy and stuff like that, we, we've seen that. And we talked about you know Subaru a few weeks ago moving into that hybrid range with the the XV and the Forester and stuff like that mm. to help improve that. And I think it's it's great to see that more brands are harnessing that. And we can talk about it with the with Maserati a little bit later in the show yeah. in terms of what they're doing, but. The beauty with 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 some of these mild hybrids now is that you have the ability to still have that performance there if you want it, but be able to help you when you don't want to use it. So we saw that technology a few years ago with the the stop start technology, but we're yeah. now seeing it with these mild these forty eight volt mild hybrids enabling you to be able to use it at that at that lower speed and stuff like that or um you know as i talked about with the the subaru is being able to use it you know driving it out of your driveway and and low uh, low amounts when parking and stuff like that so the fact that land rover is going down this great this move is great don't be afraid of this if you hear that your your favorite brand is going into this mild hybrid it's a good thing don't be don't be afraid don't be put off that your that your favorite brand is is looking into this mild hybrid thing it's a good thing it's going to make your life embrace it exactly you're going to make things more easier but we'll talk about it more when we get into some of the other stuff on the show but yeah it's good to see that Range Rover embracing it and, and doing more more with it in, in terms of what they're doing with their models. And they have quite a big model range now. Um, and some of them, you know, are thirsty engines and, and some of the stuff that they do. Um, but yeah, it, it's good. It's good to see in that respect. Absolutely. So um, yeah, it's, I think, I think, you know, the, these press releases aren't really anything of a surprise. Um you know, expect more of them, um, and uh, don't even be surprised to start to see even uh, some a lot more of the performance orientated models. Yeah, um, picking up some of these things as well because we're seeing it right at the very top. Ferrari, yeah. Porsche, everyone. Um, you know, they've got performance it, you know, models yeah. that are hybrid. They started and they're doing more with it, so yeah. it's only going to expect what yeah. they're they're going to do more with it. So. Mm. 
But keeping uh, a little bit more grounded in uh, maybe not as forward thinking with the electrification, but definitely uh, in terms of uh, lack of fuel economy, or it's a bit unfair to say, but you know, realistically, uh, lack of fuel economy and uh, general uh, pleasantness to the ear um, in terms of improving that, uh, Audi, <laughs> they've continued, they've really continued their trend, haven't they, with um, uh, with refreshing their entire RS lineup. And uh, this week, they've refreshed the RS4 and the RS5. Um, pricing is a little bit... Um, is a little bit sharper at 147,900 for the RS4 um, and the RS5 coupe and sport back from 150,900. Um, but yeah, twin turbo V6 is 331 kilowatts of power, 600 newton meters of torque. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a good couple of looking sports cars, don't you think? And that, um, I think that gray is uh well the gray and the green and the hero models are really looking quite good so it's uh i don't know if it's a bit of a theme at the moment um but look the standard equipment pretty much as you'd expect with the the highlight features being you know aesthetic so a little bit of uh those design updates uh but everything which is still very much rs if you're um if, if you've been following their brands but they've got new metallic paint 20 inch Audi sport wheels gloss red uh rs brake calipers brilliant sounding rs sports exhaust system um with a big fat gloss black uh towel pipes as well as um you know their exterior exterior appearance package being standard so that's always a nice thing um when you when you're getting to these ends of the models that you aren't just um you know the the options list gets smaller sure some of the things still remain quite expensive um but you know, most of those key elements are going to be things that you don't have to think about. You know, should I tick that box or not? Um, but, but again, you've been really busy with the the RS and sort of um, absolutely, yeah. The the RSQ sort of stuff of like upgrading that whole range. It's kind of it's kind of weird. I didn't realize that so much of their sort of RS Sport range was due for due for a change. And and I, look, it only seemed like yesterday that the RS4 and RS5 had their last upgrades. To, yeah. to see that we're doing it now. But, you know, the um, the RS stuff has been big for years, but, you know, everyone loved the fact that the early S-series and stuff was all about V8s and stuff like that. But we talked, as, as you said, twin turbo V6 <laughs> puts mm. out 300 kilowatts and 600 newton metres of torque for 150 grand. Like, you know, sure, it's big money if you're talking about, you know, we've been driving stuff that's probably 40 and 50 grand, but... It's still good value for money when you talk at some stuff like half a million dollars. So yeah. the performance that you get from them for that kind of value for money, it's just it's just really impressive in terms of what it is. And they're such good looking cars. Like the RS4 for for a while, it's been one of those kind of halo cars. But when they went down the RS5 sort of route and having this two door coupe sports back style of thing you know it's 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 really sexy having seen the the well now the previous gen rs5 in person it's such a good looking car yeah well particularly as a you know in that event or oh, um don't go you know, there <laughs> that, so 
you know they've, they've got some great colors you know the hero colors they've got the the that gray um unfortunately they don't list like the the color names when we're looking through these photos but again it's like you know it seems like audi have just completely opened the floodgates because these vehicles also land on the 24th of july um again it's my birthday so audi look, <laughs> basically i'll take any of the rs vehicles i thought i was fairly limited in range at the beginning but obviously it seems like you've just uh, <laughs> opened everything up so look yeah any of them i'll be fine i won't be too picky um does that mean we're not going to record next week because it's your birthday ash maybe yeah look i'll have other things to do <laughs> um <laughs> but look uh yeah i think the colors are great and i'm really digging that you know bmw audi have seemed to caught up on you know caught up on this metallic green yeah um, it's not necessarily british racing green but, that, but it's but that gray is cool. really nice as well like yeah. someone shared some stuff on on social during the week i think it might have been linkedin that matte gray in the bmw m8 mm-hmm. and like these it's funny, like it used to be the, the the plain colors, but now that there's more kind of stuff. But the word I can't get over is between the RS5 Avante, the RS5 Sportsback, and the RS5 Coupe, they're all 331 kilowatts. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you the know, I mean, they're effectively the same thing underneath. It's just a different body over the yeah. top, but they're such sexy cars. And, and that's what I was saying before. Like, so they've made a lot of those key things as standard, like the exterior packages and that kind of thing. And looking at the images, like that RS5 from that rear three-quarter shot, um, you've got the wheels that absolutely fill the guards oh, with the yeah. dark-tinted taillights. And that re- how good's that rear lance like, underneath? You know, it, it just looks like someone's gone and... You know, they've consulted a couple of aftermarket tuners going, okay, what would, you know, here's our here's our starting point. What would you do to it? Um, yeah. And then they've gone, great, we'll make that the standard option. Um, that's what it kind of looks like in these photos. And I think it absolutely works. It, I feel like that, um, you know, you, you, you could buy one of these and you wouldn't feel compelled at all to, to add aftermarket wheels or anything. I'm sure people will go do it anyway, but it just feels like they just look right. Um yeah, in in that and even with the V6, they're going to maintain um, their their great sound with that that ex- sports exhaust. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's great. They're coming soon. I can't wait to see all these refreshed cars just out on the road. Um, yeah, exactly. Because Irish vehicles are growing in popularity. They don't have quite um, the the mass impact as like the AMG vehicles or the BMW M vehicles. Um, they have, to me anyway, always felt like a little bit of a, a cultish kind of vehicle. Like, you know, if you, if you want to be a little bit deviant, you go the RS range and, you know, pick up that, you know, devilish sound, but, you know, just really different kind of sport nature compared to what BMW and Mercedes kind of output. Um, They're a bit more sedate, I think, for a lot, a lot of degree. I think for a long time, they used to be really for yeah. like cars. Now they, you know, obviously the design language has, has, you know, and the approach has changed a little bit. Yeah, the aggressiveness um, of the RS series and and the S series has kind of grown yeah. from what they were. They were. I just it was hard to tell the difference. Those oval exhausts. So it's still, you know, oh, yeah. it, it just kind of it looks a little bit under the radar kind of thing where, you know, yeah. being though you've got the, the quad exhaust on an M vehicle and that kind of thing, and it really lets you know that there's something, you know, something serious going on. But the Audi is a voice just going, yep, here's too big oval exhaust. So, you know, it just kind of looks like there's nothing, you know, if you know what you're looking for, you'll definitely see it. But the thing is like you'll get a, 
you'll get away with it most of the time until you just put your foot down and accelerate off to the to the you know to, to the sunset kind of thing. But if you want to spend money and then you buy something like an Akropovich exhaust for it, it's yeah. it's another level. Like, you know, I think I've spoken about it before. I, I went to an Audi drive day and and Steve Bizzardi showed me one of their cars that was fitted with an Akropovich exhaust. And, oh, my God, the noise that, that came out of the back of that thing, you know. I love Audis and I'm not afraid of, of telling you know, our listeners and stuff that how much I love the product, but yeah, these things are just, just absolutely awesome. So um, yeah, it's cool to see that we get a a slight facelift. So, but we go from um, talking German to talking Japanese Ash with a, with a, with a redesign of a of a famous logo. Yeah, so Nissan have revealed um, uh, basically their new their new image looking towards the future, and and, and it's starting primarily with their electric vehicles. So um, their Aria Aria, I think I think that's Aria. How it, yeah, it. I think it's yeah, Aria um, electric vehicle concept. Um, basically, is 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 it it looks very similar to the existing logo um, on the vehicles, but it just updates it uh, to the you know to the to the twenty first century. It 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 kind of looks a little bit like you know the design language of like Polestar, um, mm. in that it's it's minimalist, but it's still very much recognizable. And um, with their so it's unlike uh, not too long ago, BMW revealed like a new logo which they'll use in on in, in digital form um but not in their vehicles nissan is doing it both in digital and in physical and it's starting with this aria concept um and the wonderful thing about their electric vehicles is that they're going to actually use um an illuminated logo which uses 20 leds to light up very you know in the photos it looks really beautiful it looks really quite yeah, nice looks great um it, it doesn't look cheap it doesn't look thing it looks sophisticated um it, it almost looks like, you know, I, if, if iRobot used Nissans rather than the Audi vehicles, <laughs> it, it fits exactly in. Yeah. Um, and I think it looks really exciting. It's going to look great at night when you're driving along or in dusk. I think it's going to be awesome. And I think it's a, I think it's a good update. I think it, it, it doesn't throw out their history. It, you know, it still uses that same, that same font um, that everybody will, will recognize in that same circular pattern. But it's just, you know, it's just a, a very minor but, um, you know, pretty significant update at the same time. And I think it's, you know, it, it, it fits in perfectly with like what we've been talking so far with um, that move to electric vehicles or even, you know, uh, hydrogen-based vehicles, you know, the alternative fuels, as we as we call it, of, um, you know, the direction we're heading. And, um, you know, it's 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 forward thinking to, to just do a, a minor update. So I, I'm on board with it. I, I quite like it. Um, hopefully, you know, I wonder how long it will take for most of their models to to receive the updated badge because obviously it's going to be a bit of a transition time. Um, maybe we see it, you know, obviously with their electric vehicles, but we do know that there is an, a new X-Trail coming soon. So, you know, will we start to see it on most, mo- you know, most of their main vehicles or you know, it'll be interesting to see how that rollout happens, but, you know, um, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, look, it looks good. I like that idea. It's kind of like, um, you know that that pushing for that design to show it off and and and, and look as you said it, it kind of works with the Aria as being its launch vehicle. Um, 
you know, having that backlit design and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the, the current Nissan design is good, but the fact that you can now see this, as you said, Ash being backlit and stuff like that, um, it's not it's not a massive difference. So the, the Nissan word is still there. It's still based off that oval design. Um so yeah, it's it, it, it's good it's good to see the fact that they're they're pushing and, and kind of redeveloping and stuff like that around that, yep. um, and the fact that they're they're launching it around their area, which is which is kind of like a would you say an electric X Trail, Ash? Yeah, I'd, it would. That's kind of a way that you could put it. It it yeah. Little bit bulkier, almost like the mm. Nissan Leaf adapted to a what yeah, kind of be like an X Trail, kind of um, like yeah, the the uh, the the love child effectively of a, yeah. an X Trail and a Leaf. Um, yeah. but look and at the you, range. You know what the rear? Um, and, and I just uh, clicked over a photo of the the rear tailgate. Um, it it seems like they've borrowed that from um from Porsche. Um, if you know the the 911, the Macan, the the KN, um, you know that that singular brake light, that line they do across the the back with the the brand spelt out, um, it feels like they've borrowed that. But again, it's sort it's of kind, you know, yeah, it, it's it, it's it works though. It's I, I taken the um, the Duke the current Duke design, and that's yeah. the thing with most of these with most of these sort of brands now is that that family design language that they're doing now, particularly, you know, you, you see each evolution of the brand of their models. Like, you know, Duke is currently probably Duke and Qashqai are probably their current generation of, of really shaping their model. You know, the, the X trail we know is going to be replaced and we've, we've seen pictures of the new rogue um, and that's kind of the next logical sense. So I think Aria is showing that next level design language and what's going to come what's going to happen next and and if this is the way that this is heading uh hands up i, I love it. It, it it's great I, I love this kind of design that rear sort of almost three-quarter side shot from a distance that that's in the press kit yeah. is really quite not that color is just gorgeous but um yeah look it, it's a great looking thing um in terms of what they're going to do I think it's good to see that Nissan are expanding beyond the Leaf. Um, the Leaf is a good model. We talked about it last week with, with what they're going to do in terms of mm. um, what they're doing with the Leaf and what it's done. But the the range on this Ash is really impressive. They're talking 600Ks yeah. um, of, of range. Like, when was the last time either of us did 600 but bar the time you took the super for a drive in the country um you know when yeah. was the last time you you did 600 k's in a day you know that that's look, that's it that's impressive range yeah so uh, look even most um like car clubs when they do like a a drive day they won't even you know might not even get up to that amount either no. um so look it comes back to that, you know, around you know, minimum of about that 450 or 500 kilometers um, is really the, you know, the minimum. Anything above that, I think it, it is great. Yeah. And being a slightly larger vehicle also plays into, you know, the limitations of what the Leaf has versus this larger form, obviously, with updated technology and everything like that. But um, you do get that benefit of just having that physical space available to to have a larger um, a larger battery just to squeeze out that little bit more um, 
range out of it and, and to really address particularly you know again it's it's the key thing that lets us down here in australia is the lack of charging infrastructure oh. so having that extra range really comes into comes into you know its own but and, as that, um, as that network grows, you know, and, and particularly like ChargeFox with what they've been doing and, and as they're expanding their charging network, yeah. um, it, it, like oh, 600 k's of range, I would not be afraid to go and do my normal life with something like this area in terms of what it's covering because you know that you'd be able to do what you're going to do. Most of this, most of these systems now is so accurate with what they say. They'll say, show you how much range you've got left, how far you've got to go. Um, you know, you, you just need to start planning a trip, you know, when borders reopen here in Victoria and we can, we can safely drive again between Melbourne and Sydney and Queensland. Yeah. You only have to look up where charges are. You plan your route and you might, the thing is, is that you might then enjoy your drive more because you might do less Ks in a day. You'll take more time to do that drive. You'll, you'll stop and you'll experience things and stuff like that. Um, Looking at the interior, it's good to see that Nissan have stayed with that flat bottom steering wheel. Yeah. You know that 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 design I really love about Nissan. Um, those two screens inside. We've been talking tonight about those bigger style screens, both in terms of the center console and also mm. the dashboard. That's just stunning. And how simple is that dashboard under yeah, the next to the start um, button? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the. Uh, Mercedes interiors of the S class, mm. um, but in a much more simplified way. Um, but there's two long widescreen displays, the the two spoke steering wheel that's slightly squared off bottom. Um, yeah, very very clean. Um, yeah, I like it. So yeah, it's um and in terms of so at the moment the this is um, the Japanese market specs. We don't ex I, I wouldn't expect it to change very much. Um, no, not for, Japan, for Australia, anyway. but there's 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 two models with two different battery capacities. So you've got the Aria two wheel drive and the Aria four all wheel drive, and um, each of those have two um, two battery sizes. So there's a 65 kilowatt hour and a 90 kilowatt hour. Um, in the two wheel drive, you do actually get a smidge more range. So that's where you're going to see um, in the 65 kilowatt hour um 450 k's of range or the 90 kilowatt hour up to 610 the all-wheel drive you lose about 20 to 30 kilometers um respectively uh in that all-wheel drive so that comes down to really what um uh what type of performance and what type of um, driving conditions come through can't, and how much you want to spend as well there. obviously between the yeah. 65 kilowatt and the 90 kilowatt there's obviously going to be a price difference, but performance-wise, there's not a lot in it, in it really. Like no, you know, well, in terms what, of acceleration, is um, the extra because there is a big jump in, in the power output as well mm. um, between the two-wheel drive and all-wheel drive. So um, comparing directly, let's say the 90 kilowatt-hour two-wheel drive versus the 90 kilowatt or all-wheel drive, you do you do go from 610 kilometers down to 580 um, in the all-wheel drive, but you do get a huge amount of extra power in terms of from 178 kilowatts up to 290 um, and you double the amount of torque and it improves that acceleration time from 7.6 seconds to 5.1. Now, would you be using that type of performance in a, in a car like this? Probably not. Like you're not going to be taking it to the track. It's not um, a performance SUV. Yeah, it's and, designed and, as, 
It's designed as an electric, effectively X trial. I would have thought. Absolutely. So, look, most people, I would imagine, unless you know there is um, a, a dire need to get that all drive, I, w- I would say that most people will be perfectly happy with the performance that you're getting out of um, that those two wheel drive models, um, and you're still going to get that instant torque feedback which you do get in electric vehicles um but yeah like it's it's interesting to see not just in the in in the drive that you're getting but also the extra performance you're getting without much of a um a range penalty um which i find yeah yeah, very interesting It's, it's impressive specs across the board in terms of what they're saying so they're saying that delivery will begin in Japan from mid 2021, uh, with a starting price of around five million yen. So um, there's no word on when, when and if we'll see it in Oz. Like I would logically think that we will probably see it at, at some stage um, because of what we, you know, we have that ability to have that relationship with Japan um, and we've had the leaf and stuff in the past. But if you do a quick conversion from 5 million yen to Aussie dollars as we stand now, it's about 65,000 Aussie dollars. So it's probably a little bit on the higher side for that kind of model in that kind of market. Um, But for what it is, and, and it's a, you've got to think that it is electric and it's a plug-in plug-in hybrid. <laughs> you know, yeah. for, for what it is, it's it's probably cheaper than a it's cheaper than a model uh, model X. So yeah, uh, I think, and I think that's the the key thing as more and more brands um, get into you know and have these offerings it's going to make it a little bit more competitive in in that space oh yeah that space is going to grow we t- we've just talked about the the i the ix3 yeah uh, in terms of what it's doing and mm. and the more models that are in that market yeah. um yeah i think it's only going to become more competitive and you know that there's a sweet spot in that price level but still at 60 grand for for a hybrid kind of suv that's good got good space and stuff like that yeah it's pretty good mm-hmm. yeah but we go from uh talking about one kind of hybrid suv to probably one of the probably the biggest selling kind of hybrid sedans in the yeah. market and uh, the camera is getting a facelift ash yeah so it's um it's kind of funny given that i i was just driving the um the camera sl and uh then they didn't give me any sort of heads up that um hey uh we've got a a new one come in if you wanted to reschedule that. So um, <laughs> to me, it's a bit of a surprise. But look, it's certainly anytime there's a faceless, I'm, I'm kind of pretty pretty excited about it because it means that you do not just aesthetic aesthetically there are some minor updates but normally you do pick up um some nice little uh extra bits of performance or you know thrown in standard features so um yeah i think based on the photos so they're calling you know the photos here you know the facelift doesn't actually arrive until next year so maybe that's why they're going to ship you're six months months out so it's all right it's not going to change for six months no but look that's now we're probably going to start to see Toyota, um, even though they do sell quite a few of these, they're probably going to see a little bit more of a, a run-out focus on those as they, you know, clear out that that yard space for um, the new models. But these pre-production 
photos don't look too bad. It, it, it still retains like that, you know, that American orientated yeah. um, styling. It, they don't mention anything about like a, a local tuning program still. So that's probably. Um, Hence why it's probably been slight. six months out, Ash, I think, because six months out, they still got time to, if there is any changes in terms of suspension and stuff like that, you know, the guys can bring it in, they can test it tune it for our market um but i like it the it's got that real aggressive look you know toyota have also announced during the week particularly for the u.s market yeah sort of an updated crack tamarine and updated avalon and stuff like that so they're they're, they're moving in that market now like the u.s market for them is quite big in terms of what they do um and but the fact that we're seeing an improvement in our models um is you know it's it's more it's again it's kind of a more aggressive front end um that new yeah. grill is quite quite large it looks like the the door line has changed a little bit as well um it's got a really nice set of big rims on it as well um but yeah i think it's 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 nice to see that that change i think we're also seeing a bit of a change in the rear end as well um with that design but yeah it's it's kind of like the same sort of thing like we're talking about the carnival before it's it's not broke it doesn't need to be fixed but it, no. it looks it looks good like you know it's one of those things that um you know the, the, it doesn't it look, still looks like a camry like we can't yeah. you know it's it's not going to be rushing out and winning any design awards but in terms of from a, a fairly practical point of view as well it it you're still going to get a ton I don't know. Of I, think, I think the design of the space. Camry is probably the best it's been in, in the last few years oh, in terms of what it is. And yeah. Those lines and stuff like that, particularly, you know, there's that really nice door, the crease that runs from the lower part of the front door that runs all the way back through the body line mm, up until mm. the to the rear lights. It's a sexy looking thing. Like I've been sort of driving Camrys and stuff for, you know, on and off for the last couple of years and it's got to be the most sexiest looking one they reckon they've had for the last few years. I wish they'd bring out a, a TAD or a Sportivo version again because that last generation one was just was just really cool. Um mm-hmm. and, and the US is is a big fan of doing sort of TRD versions of of the Camry. But yeah, so we we're gonna see that facelift um hitting our shores next year. Um uh, they're gonna offer a mix of hybrid and petrol. Um as you guys know you you and Mick have both driven those of late recently. Mm. But yeah, it's um yeah, effectively, they're saying that it features a new front end styling and a revised grille and bumper, uh, interior revisions, and I'm guessing it doesn't make mention of it, but my thought is they're probably going to be doing things like CarPlay and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it's one of those things that, that, that has having that, that kind of update um, that, that's a, that's effectively a facelift update as mm, opposed to, mm. to a new model. But we go from a, from a facelifted Camry Ash to an all-new 911 Turbo. Well, you know, it's it's the Camry of Porsches in terms of how iconic it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it is the it is the standard. It's just the standard for a, a different part of the market. Um, but look, yeah, so the 911 Turbo S is, you know, has launched, um, but the uh, the Turbo Coupe and Cabriolet has now sort of had the you know the the covers peeled off, and um, Porsche pretty much you know right on the money when the press release title says benchmark for the past forty five years, um, the Porsche nine eleven Turbo, and 
you know, that's exactly right. Like if you go back, you know, it is, um, it is one of those cars that a lot of people of young and old have always sort of idolized or at least respected. You know, even if, you know, the, they lust for the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, I think there's a, there's an underlying respect for what Porsche achieves with, um, their relatively, uh, Hey, I've still yeah. lost after a 930 turbo after sitting one again this week. You know, it's one of those iconic yeah. cars. Yeah. The turbo is just, you know, the fact that I mean, it's probably not so much anymore in terms of this new design, but those previous gens, it was that wide body. It's that cool kind of design, but the turbo is that iconic step up from a 911. But it's just so sophisticated in the way it does it. It doesn't... Exactly. You know, know, yeah, if you want loud and thing, you can definitely get it in bright colours. But, you know, if you're going for that, you probably go to a GT3 or GT3 RS, um, which has a slightly different focus. But, you know, this is quintessentially, you know, this is the professional's you know, ideal car where, you know, you could turn up to to the office and, and most people probably won't blink an eye. They, they, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's a cool-looking car, but what won't think much of it compared to you turning up in a, in a Lamborghini. But when it comes to, you know, just pure performance, though, you're talking, you know, I saw one article sort of going, this is a, you know, this is Bugatti Veyron-type levels of performance in terms of, um, what it achieves. So it's zero, zero to 100 time is 2.8 seconds. So it's 0.2 seconds faster than the old one. You got 750 newton meters of torque, which is 40 newton meters more than the old one, um, without the overboost like time limit. So it's basically it just gives you that, that new, that extra torque when you want it. Um, you know, it's, it's 427 kilowatts of power. Um, it's just yes these cars unlike what we're saying about the Audis these have a fairly extensive like options list but every Porsche doesn't matter what you're buying even if it's a 918 Spider or 935 it's going to have a long options list because a that's how you make it your own and b that's how Porsche makes all the money but it's and still, it's still and it still has that <laughs> subtleness as well that's right. Um, but, you know, its top speed remains unchanged at 320 kilometers per hour. It's an eight-speed PDK. Um, look, we can just go forever listing the specs because I think it's it's one of it's it's one of these cars where, you know, it it also, you know, and, and this is how Porsche do it. They go, here's the spec sheet, but chances are um, it's going to do that or better. Um, yeah. and it's going to be repeatable. Unlike a lot of other sports cars, I, th- I find that time and time again, every time, you know, there's plenty of videos out there um, where people demonstrating just the repeatability and the, and the reliability of um, these vehicles. And I think that's what sets the 911s apart as well as, and, and what has made them the benchmark because uh, that's that they set up very clear what they want to achieve and they achieve it and, and even exceed that and, you know, do it in a very, very good looking little package as well. But, um, but I'm a, I'm a big Porsche fan and, uh, I find very little to complain about, um, probably except for it still is a two plus two seater, even though yeah, but it's a Porsche. Sure it would fit in the back, but that's why they have Macans. That's why they have yeah. KNs. That's why yeah. I have Panameras, you know, Porsche have kind of seen that the 911 turbo is that, 
that model that is that performance model. It's designed for that two plus two, but, you know, they've been smart. The KM was one of the smartest things they did for in a long period of time and, and re- producing that SUV. And then the Macan, which is another level a friend of mine's bought, recently bought a, a, a current one and I, I saw it the other day and it's in this beautiful red and it's a stunning looking thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a four door, you know, the, yeah. the, the beauty with Porsche is that they've gone into these, these other markets and stuff like that. But if, you know, for me, if I was going to buy a Porsche, I'd be buying something probably a little bit older school, yeah. but I'd be buying like an, a nine, mm. the 930 mm. turbo that I got to sit in during the week, you know, it, it, it's a unique thing. It's, it, it's just, it has that presence. Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that, um, you know, it's it's pretty cool. But yeah, the fact that they're still doing this, that it's an upgrade from a 911, it's before the GT3, before the GT2, before the GT3 RS. You know, it's cool. Well, but- it, you know, those vehicles are about, you know, they're 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 the track orientated, the turbo is yeah. the the road orientated. But and then you the want something. Portion- a little Porsche bit different. actually listen to their customers as well because it used to be a little bit of bugbear for a lot of people where, yes, the, the options list is still long, but it used to be that when you're buying a Turbo or Turbo S, things like the Sport Chrono package was still an, an option, which is like, why? Like you're buying the fastest, um, most extreme version of, you know, the road-orientated car and some of these basic things aren't, aren't standard so what they've done is pretty pretty good so they have included um in their standard list the the 14 way sports seats which is fantastic um the sport chrono package which um typically on a porsche if you do equip the sport um you do get a, a slightly more aggressive sport plus um tune uh slightly better suspension setup and um the the famous sort of uh, uh, lap timer clock in the center. That's a yeah, really that's good a, way to, you cool know, tech. it's a classy touch. Um, yeah. Standard as well is the GT Sport steering wheel with the shift paddles um, and then the, the Bose surround system. So it's nice little key things. And then in Australia as well, given that, you know, we do typically get slightly better spec cars. So what separates our cars in terms of the standard equipment, um, seat heating, lane change assist, comfort access, um, park assist, front and rear, including the 360 cam or what they call surround view, electronically folding exterior mirrors and um, courtesy lighting digiray. So those things are standard um, specifically to Australia. And um, all that, all of those items are things that, I think if you are driving into the city and parking a car, you know, in a in a city car park and those sorts of things, where these, you know, that's where you'll typically find where these cars are parked during the week. Um, they're all very handy, and you know, it's it kind of makes sense. That they're just standard. Yeah, it's kind of essential for this sort of stuff. You you the the design of these things, like you said before, Ash, it's designed to be something that you you drive during the week. You know, it's your yeah. daily driver. It's comfortable enough to drive during the week. You still want to be able to have these mod cons and be able to park it, you know, drive it in the city and all this stuff. But the weekends, you know, <laughs> depending on where you live at the moment, you want to be able to take it out. You want to go for a drive. You want to enjoy the country and stuff um, yeah. and be able to enjoy it with that a benefit. And that's the beauty of the turbo is that you can do both of those things. If you want to take it to a track for a, for a quick track day, you can do that as well because it's got that technology built into it. So, yeah, um, so yeah but we go from... Um, 
And uh, just quickly, so pricing. Yep. Um, so it'll be Australian deliveries will start in December this year, and um, pricing starts from uh, three hundred ninety six five hundred for the coupe, and uh, four hundred seventeen five hundred for the uh, convertible. Yeah. Porsche Turbo Convertible, yeah, nice choice for for that sort of. <laughs> yeah, we've got right. the money to spend, so. Yeah. But yeah, we go from uh, some German engineering to it's something called a war <laughs> a warlock ash. Yeah, so it's um. Look, I'm a big fan, um, and uh, look, I. I uh, Ram, if you're listening, um, my email will be sitting in your inbox uh, for Monday asking to have a little bit of a closer look. I think um, we're both so, keen to get behind one of these, Ash. So, look, the latest addition to Ram's lineup here is the uh, V8 Hemi powered 1500 Warlock. Um, basically, it's so you've got now five different variants to choose from. Um, and basically those, uh, look, the Warlock is kind of like, it's it's, it's it's a more aggressive looking um, package, isn't it really? It's it's mainly what I can understand. Oh yeah. Um, slightly, you know, mostly cosmetic, but you do get a few little um, functional things as well, such as a, uh, so you get lots of blacked out bits, racing, you know, stripes and slightly more aggressive um, bits and pieces, but you also do pick up a, a one-inch suspension lift, um, giving you just a little bit more articulation. I think um, it's a good, it's a good thing. Clearance. It's nice to see that Ram are going down that down that line of, of giving yeah. that extra that extra one one inch of suspension lift. They're also talking about cargo management with the Ram box. Um, you know the suspension lift, as we said. You know, but you get semi gloss you know, wheels, fuel zone you know. climate control, sat nav. Yeah, so it's kind of like you get all the the good stuff to you know to to get the work done, but you can do it in comfort. And colors ash, <laughs> flame, flame red, bright white, and patriot blue. Mm. <laughs> It's, are we really surprised by those colours? <laughs> Given the- no, I love it. I think it's a great <laughs> idea because in terms of what they're doing, yeah. you know, in terms of the other stuff we've seen, most of the Rams that I've seen on, on TV or um, yeah. you know, and stuff has either been silver, black or grey. Yeah. The fact that they've gone red with this thing and the fact that the photos in the press kit are red are really cool. And that more aggressive sort of front end and stuff with the the styling is, is really cool cool like that massive ram signage in the front um yeah look you know you and i are both keen to really drive one of these um and hopefully we can get in touch with our friends at ram very very soon but you know we talk about it in the press release and we've talked about it in terms of the sales they've seen a 54.6 percent year on year mm. growth 130 percent in june alone so as we talked about when we're talking about june sales figures mm. the, the ads that on tv that ram's been doing i think has really paid off for them um and they've done really really well as a as a result uh and the interest, you know, that, that's coming out of that model is, is brilliant. And, you know, the it, it's been, you know, they've done really, really well as a, as a result. But offering this new Warlock model, I think, is a, is a smart move. Yeah. And, and you know, part of, part of the reason why people are, are going to these is, you know, we've spoken about it. I think the, um, the asset write-off, 
Um, tax advantage has really helped, particularly, you know, in, in the recent months. Um, but it comes back down to, you know, for a price of $104,000 plus, you know, plus your on-roads, but basically, you know, f- from that starting price and you get a, a payload of 820 kilos, but also with their trailer brake control system, you get a 4.5 tonne towing capacity. Mm. Um, and compared to other vehicles that kind of fit in that price bracket, that's a lot of thing. You know, that's a lot of trailer and a lot of boat yeah. and a lot of caravan that you can carry. Yeah. Um, you know, from from that model, and that's not obviously you know, and that's not the largest one either when it comes to choosing if you're buying one specifically for towing. Um, but it's a it's a pretty good price. We're starting to get that to where it's a great price point for the utility that you get out of it. Not just you know the the thought of oh I'm driving a big American truck or you know look at me. It's it actually you know it is still delivering on that functional side of things, which I think um, yeah is is really highlighting the value of you know these pickup trucks. Well, and the beauty of it is is that it's already converted. You know you literally buy it from a dealer. Uh, your local Ram dealer will sell this to you with a warranty, three years, 100,000 Ks, with roadside assistance, you know, service intervals of 12 months. Um, and there's 55 dealers in the country. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go through someone else that's converting your product for you. You, you. you go back to your local dealer. You know that whoever you buy it from will service it for mm-hmm. you. Um and it's in that sweet spot. It's a hundred yeah. grand for what it is and what it'll do. Yeah, and, and fifty-five it, dealers is pretty healthy for it's a pretty good for for Australian Australia yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's impressive stuff. So yeah, look, Ram. I think Ram have been doing well. Um, we've seen what they've done over the last few years in terms of what they've been doing in the market. And this yeah. is just another model that's added to it. And it's great to see that they've added another model um, in that, in that range. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, and, and, and I, and I'm sure it's not going to be the last one either across no. the, the different levels as well. I think this is a, a great way to, um, to bring a little bit more attention, especially to that 1500 um, model, but yeah, bring it. Uh, and the fact is, the fact it. is that Ram have gone into partnership with Walkinshaw, and Walkinshaw are helping to build this for them in mm. Victoria. Um, I've seen a few trucks heading that way in terms of being ready for conversion and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, it's good to see. Like, I'd like to see this partnership continue, and you know, we can only hope that they might expand to to other other models uh, in, within that sort of Dodge family. But, um, yeah, as we talk about going from uh, a new model for Ram, we also talk about a new model for Hyundai Ash. Yeah, so it kind of fits in. You know, we were talking about it earlier with the uh, the Tucson and the Santa Fe right at the beginning um, where they've got, you know, the Active and the Highlander and the Elites and that kind of thing. And so the latest addition for the Santa Fe, their larger um SUV that they have thrown into the mix that active X and so um, it gives you pretty sharp pricing with um, the starting price for the Santa Fe models at 43990 but the active X starting at 47200 um, and what you pick up over that entry level active model um, is is what I would say is it's probably fairly significant for a lot of people so you do get slightly larger 18-inch alloy wheels, front park assist sensors, leather-appointed interior, smart key with push-button start. I think, you know, for everyone, that's kind of the standard these days. Dual-zone climate control, 
Um, glove box cooling, which I mentioned, um, is very handy. The rain sensing wipers, privacy glass, puddle lamps integrate into the mirrors. That's a great little feature at night as well. Same with the courtesy lights in the front door handles, power folding steering mirrors. Um, and then you get a couple of um, uh, cosmetic things. So the satin chrome exterior door handles and the, the fabric A-pillar covers and uh, the roof lining, which I experienced in the Highlander Santa Fe. And I kind of a fan of um, of that fabric rather than your sort of traditional headliner. But I think it, I think it's a pretty good tidy little package. Um, sharpens up the the range um, nicely across there. So yeah, it's a again a nice little addition um, for those wanting to have that little sweet spot before jumping up uh, significantly more. Um, just to gain, you know, those those couple of extra features that they might be looking for. Yeah, it's a smart move. I think when you've got a range, when you've got something as good as the Santa Fe, and, and it's done well, it's done, it's won you know quite a few awards and stuff like that. Yeah. By putting something that, in terms of a price point, that is more kind of middle level, that's between two model specs. I think it's a, it's a smart move, and particularly what that you know the X specs that. Active X specs adds over the active model. That's yeah. a you know we're talking a long list of of lineup in terms of stuff yeah. like that, and we're talking about you know sort of Kia and Hyundai earlier tonight in terms of what they're doing with their models now and and stuff like that. You know, it, it's one of those it's one of those brands now. You know, I had some Kia stuff lined up to do in the next couple of weeks, and unfortunately, due to lockdown, I've now postponed that. But my plan is hopefully to to get in behind the wheel of some of the Hyundai stuff after I finish with some of the Kia stuff, because mm. for me, these models, the Kia and Hyundai models, you know, they used to be a, like I owned a Hyundai years ago, and I had an Excel, and they were fairly basic in what they offered, but. What they offer today in, in, in this current state of play in the market, there's so much stuff. And I talked before about rental cars and you can you can rent a car now today and it'll have everything you need in it. The last couple of times I've rented stuff, I've had Hyundai's. And they're so well specced as a rental car that as a car that you would then buy, it, it, it has so much in it and there's so much good value for money um, in terms of what you can get from it. Yeah. It, it, it's really, really impressive. And so Santa, you know, the Santa Fe ActiveX coming into this range is, is slightly different. Uh, You've you got to give them credit for, for doing this sort of stuff mm. and for the spec of what it, what it is. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, again, the two different engine options, the 3.5 V6 front-wheel drive, you know, uh, there's a the, the, at 47 grand and the 2.2 litre diesel. Look, the diesel is nice, but it's a little bit noisy mm, at, okay. but at, at 50 grand. Um, but the trade-off of having in the noisy diesel for the economy that it gives, it's kind of worth it's worth that, you know, and, and for most people that are buying this, they're probably not going to worry too much about having that added noise because the cabin systems in these things are so good now that mm. you don't hear a lot of that outside noise. But us being car guys, we're a little bit more particular about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for the three sort of grand or so more for the economy and the all-wheel drive, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of look at, you know, it's good value for money because – you know the active x is 50 grand the highland is 61 for what it'll offer 
um, in terms of, you know, forward collision assistance, blind spot, driver attention warning. The thing is that Hyundai love and they're pushing it at the moment is the reoccupant alert and stuff like mm. that. Mm. Um you know, it's good value for fifty grand. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what they're, in terms and, of what and I do doing. love how um how short the options are. Basically, your two options in the ActiveX, and you know, because they don't do like option packages where you get this. You know, you can get a sunroof and a thing and blah. It's like you know, here's here's our four specs. Um, you pick the one that best suits you, and um, if you want premium paint, well, that's going to be six hundred ninety five dollars if you want that, um, and that's that's your only option in the active um so it's really it's a pretty pretty simple decision and um in the active x and the elite it's you know you get the added option of do you want a dark beige interior and then in the highlander you go you you, you could opt for a burgundy interior for for 295 so uh, it's it's great that they also keep that um, very simple. Obviously, from a from a manuf- point of a point of view of a manufacturer and a dealer, it also makes managing stock pretty pretty easy. Um, but it also, from a consumer point of view, in this price range, helps probably make that decision a little bit better because you just go, oh, yep, which one has the most options we like? Does it fit our um, our budget? Yes, no, and um, go from there rather than. You know, going, oh, we've got five different cars. This has got one option pack that's got that, that doesn't have this, but it's got that. And, you know, you've got all different pricing and confusion. It's just like they make it very simple um, and they include most of the features that you want anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's good. They've, they've done a good job. And this is a reason why Hyundai, I think, in general, uh, doing so well. Yeah, exactly. And they're only, they're only going to improve in terms of their model range and stuff like that with what they're doing um, and they're growing in terms of what they're approve- they're doing in terms of it. And we've talked about the specs and stuff that Huna putting into their models. So it kind of leads us into what Ford are now doing with now offering Ford Pass. Um, and we've heard a little bit about this from what they're doing in the US, but Ford Pass Connect has now arrived in into Oz um, and they're now putting it into Rangers, Everest and Transits. Um, and it's pretty exciting tech, Ash, you know, and you and I are both a bit of a tech nerds in terms of we love that kind of stuff. But yeah. watching what Ford has done in the last couple of years with what they've been doing with some of their stuff. So Ford Pass is, uh, is allowing you to connect you to your car via an, an app um, and having the ability to connect to it wirelessly. So you, the things you can kind of do with it is remote lock and unlock, remote start, only an automatic, of course, but most people would be buying automatic, automatics. Vehicle status and remote vehicle monitoring, live traffic updates, vehicle locator, which is great when you're parked in a car park, and vehicle health, um, health alerts. So mm. um, this is cool. I've been watching sort of Ford Connect for the last few years in the US and, and what they've been pushing out, particularly in some of their stuff like the transits and, and some of their other models. But Ford Oz, you know, well done. I'm bringing this sort of stuff to to, to, to Oz. You, you can access all this by downloading a free app. You know, more importantly, it's a free app because you you, know, you spent this, this much money on a car. You want to be able to do it. It's available on Apple and Android. So if you're an Android user like you, Ash, and Mick, I think, is, is, a, mm. is an Android user, you've got the ability to do this. So, yeah, this is this is cool sort of stuff. I think I saw an ad during the week in terms of talking about it. You know, you can, you can start the car, start the heater, 
particularly in Melbourne at the moment because it's apparently <laughs> seven degrees. Wow. So, you know, okay. yeah, but, uh, the Melbourne mornings at the moment are a bit cool. I had to go out briefly this morning. Uh, and during the week, and it was very cold every day. I can literally start the the seat heaters from uh, from inside my house and have the car nice and warm. But then once we get to summer, we can actually have the seats nice and cooled before we and the interior nice and cooled before we get in. You can obviously do remote lock and unlock, uh, live traffic updates, vehicle locator. But this is also something that I saw during the week. We've got some stuff that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show with another brand, but vehicle health uh, alerts so that you can get updates of um, general maintenance, low levels of washer fluid and things like that as well. So um, you look more tech, the better. Um, you know, I think I'm sure you'll agree, Ash, that being able to see and get this sort of data in advance is pretty cool as a car owner. Yeah, it's, you know, and it, it is handy if, um, you know, most people probably, it, it's one of those things, you're going to be one of those customers where you use it all the time or you don't use it that, you know, super often. Um, maybe the key thing I think for most people out of this, you'll find most useful is that um, that remote start, particularly in colder areas, that is so mm. useful. Um, the other bits and pieces I think will be, it'd be interesting to see if they um, bring, as you know, as we know, Apple have got their their car key features rolling out um, in, in iOS 14. So it'd be interesting to see if we get any of that integration as well, because I think if you're, you know, if, if you're wanting to remote lock and unlock um, your vehicle for someone, maybe you do want to share a key with them um, to let them move the car or, or something like that. So it'd be interesting to see um, if, uh, if we see that progress, but it's it's a great start to see, and it's kind of basically the the way of the future for most of most cars these days to have some sort of level of this type of feature. Um, to to the very least, at least, just get a little bit more control over your vehicle um, when you can't get to it. Yeah, the connectivity I think is is really really important, and we're starting to see more of that um, in terms of what we're starting to see in Oz. You know, the US have been very, very strong in this area for the last few years. Um, I think the new Pajero Sport has been one of those that's had that ability even, and it kind of raised my eyebrows as well when I saw it, the ability that they're talking about some of the stuff you can do with your Apple Watch yeah. and things like that. Um, and this, I know, I know Ford have been strong on for the last couple of years. I've watched a couple of the pr- presentations at motor shows and they've talked a lot about it. So it's great to see that Ford Australia has been at the ability to pull this data or this ability into their models and push it into a couple of more of their models. So Rangers and Everest and transits, but you know, I'd love to see this sort of stuff being pulled into focuses and, and things like that as, as, as the ability has to, to expand, but yeah, it's cool tech as a, as a tech nerd, the more we can see this sort of stuff in this sort of area is, um, is pretty exciting for, you know, from my point of view. Yeah, it's um, as always, it's a it's a welcome thing, um, and I think it's uh, continuing. Uh, yeah, it, it it also leads into what our next bit of news is. It's just sort of that that look into to that future of level of connectivity, virtual assistants, and all that kind of thing. Um, and we touched on it last week with um, with the you know what they were teasing, but basically, and, and you were pretty excited by this, um, the new 
Ghibli hybrid, um, which they you know which they call it, it is the first electrified Maserati. Um, it seems to have got some pretty pretty interesting performance side of things. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I tuned in to watch this because I'm a bit of a Maserati fan, and mm-hmm. um, I remember when the Ghibli was first relaunched for the brand. So the Ghibli's been a model that's been around for the brand for the last few years. For it has a long history with the brand, yeah. and and I've done some work with Maserati in the past. I'm a little bit biased, you know. They've been a client of mine, so I kind of have that passion for the brand. And I remember when the Ghibli was first launched, and it's a cool car. Like the Quattroporte is a brilliant brilliant model for them but the ghibli is you know that short that shorter smaller model so the fact that they were going to do a hybrid was really exciting and and i i the invite hit my inbox during the the other night and so i jumped in to to watch it and very well like you know with this current covid time we don't have the ability as media to attend events as much so a lot of stuff has been done online but it was a well presented online presentation so um it, it had obviously the obviously you know sharing the data and stuff like that but they then they had the three different people obviously people that are involved with the technology behind the drivetrain for the design of the vehicle and then obviously the technology in terms of um the infotainment system and stuff like that. Uh, and so each of these three people spoke and then what they did is they opened it up for the media to ask questions and then they had uh, a studio situation where these three people were involved in a sit-down and and they had a host asking questions to these three people that were coming from the media. So mm. it, was, it was very, very interesting. Like they're talking about hybrid and we're talking about the MC20, which is coming, which is their new performance car later in the year. So it was interesting to see what Maserati would do. Would they go plug-in hybrid? Would they go mild hybrid? Would they go full, you know, which way would they go? And they've gone for a form of mild hybrid, which is is an interesting way to go. You think, well, hang on. it's not a plug-in hybrid. No, it's not a plug-in hybrid. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, this is not kind of what I was expecting. But then when you listen to the presentation, it's quite interesting. So what the way that the way the Maserati's thinking is is that they've gone from they've taken and it's interesting because the brand has worked in both areas. They've worked in diesel and they've worked in petrol. Mm. So the way that they've planned this is with the with the Ghibli hybrid is that they've taken and Maserati, you've got to think, is a performance brand. It's got a racing pedigree, it's got a racing her- heritage. So you know the Ghibli, even though it is a, it is a effectively a, a car that you would use as a daily driver. Mm. It's still to have that performance ability. So what they've done is they've taken the performance of a petrol engine, but with the economy of a diesel. So it's a four-cylinder right, engine okay. combined with their e-booster and forty-eight. Uh, volt battery system to give you a 330 horsepower. So it, they, they, they talked a lot about the performance of it, that the that the the sound of the Maserati hasn't changed, but it's designed to give you that performance, but with that economy of a diesel. Mm-hmm. So a, a very interesting way to do it. They've got a new Maserati Connect system in terms of the infotainment inside. Really, really nice infotainment, very much upgraded in terms of the way the system is designed. Really, really nice setup. It's based on an Android um, auto uh, system, right? Okay, but it has the ability for you if you're an, an iPhone user like myself, it has the ability to still be able to plug in. It's still got the a two liter four cylinder, 
but it's been built to sound like a Maserati. So the the, mm. the the ability that the model has had is that it's designed to still sound like a Maserati, but have that ability to be a hybrid power plant um, so that it's got, you know, a fuel saving of 20%. Um, as I said, it's, it's designed to drive like a petrol, but have the fuel economy of a diesel. So like for Maserati's first foray into this hybrid ability, uh, it's very, very clever. And the thing I like... Have, it, they, have they built the... Have they developed the technology themselves? Are they licensing it? Because As um, far as I'm aware, it's all been built in-house. Okay. So Maserati is moving down that line of being building this sort of technology themselves mm-hmm. um, and being able to use it themselves because I think what they're trying to do, particularly with their, their future engine plans and stuff like that, Maserati is trying to go their own way and break away from their sister company uh, in terms of Ferrari and trying to do their own thing. Um, and, you know, it, the the Ghibli is a, is a one of their really nice models in terms of that sort of smaller system compared to the Cotraporto, um, you know, and the Gran Turismo, which is their sort of been their performance vehicle. Um, but, yeah, it's designed to be a vehicle that you can drive in the streets and get good, good fuel economy. But if you want to take to the hills or and drive the twisties, then it's got that ability to, <laughs> excuse me, to do that. Um, and then obviously part of what they've done to tell a hybrid apart from a general um, uh, Ghibli is that there are now, there's this unique blue color um, accents um, around the brake calipers. Mm. I'm really um, digging the the blue highlights. Yeah, and the air vents, um, and then obviously there's part of the um, the Trident in the logo as well um, that they're trying to to do that. Uh, it's had a re a redefined and designed grill to work better for the aerodynamics. Um, it was a fascinating presentation to watch. It was very well done for something that where you're watching from all across the world. Um, you know, and to not be able to do something that you would normally attend in person, um, to be able to see that. Um, and the thing is, is because they're using a four-cylinder engine, the weight saving in the front versus putting this battery system in the rear is that it counteracts itself so that it's a really well-managed weight um, displacement within the body. So, yeah, very, very interesting. They're talking that um, the first models will be available internationally around October with the rest of the markets later after that. So my anticipation, they haven't actually confirmed, but my thoughts from the the presentation, what they were saying is we'll probably see the first of these arrive in Australia early next year. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there's been no sort of real talk of pricing. That's all to be to be revealed at a later time. Uh, but yeah, any uh, indication of um, yeah? So pricing, yeah, we expect that pricing at a later, later date. Do yeah, you, there was do you the, think it's going to be what type of what, what type of premium? Do you think that's going to carry? Uh, look, uh, I think at the moment, I think they're talking. Uh, I would say. Like we've said before, I would probably say that sort of maybe that five to ten grand premium, yeah. maybe over. Um, 
because of what it is, but who knows? It, like, it depends on where the dollar sits at the time, yeah. you know, in terms of everything else, in terms of what COVID's doing to the market and stuff like that. But uh, I look for for me listening to this. If I was in the market for a Ghibli, <laughs> for uh, I'm sold. I'd be buying this hybrid because you you don't lose anything. You gain stuff. You gain the ability to have if you're using this as a daily driver. Um, you've got the ability to have really good a fuel economy on, on your Monday to Fridays, but if a weekend you want to take it for a bit of a drive, you want to drive to your beach house or drive down the coast, this is perfect. You know, the north to 100 is still 5.7 um, seconds. You know, it's 255 top speed of, you know, kilometres an hour, and it's still 330 horsepower. So, yeah. um, and the exhaust system has been designed to still sound like a Maserati. So, you know, it's a it's a win win at the end of the day, um, and this is the first step of this technology that we will then see later in the year when the MC20 arrives. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah. I'm I'd be curious to see how if if it has the uh, the sales figures. So to see if other people get as excited as well about the hybrid. Um, I think like, it is, and I think it'll be with other brands. You know, Lexus are a great example of where yeah, their hybrids are. Uh, and very very popular compared to the, the traditional combustion um, but the way that see. Lexus has done their yeah, businesses now yeah. is that the hybrid just integrates into the rest of their range Yeah, it's kind of a no a no brainer in that respect if you want exactly. to go down that route it's an easy selection you know yeah. the hybrid with the way that those systems are designed is and I think it's a similar way to the way I think that Maserati are working is that is that it's an it's an entry point to use at a low speed or you know that sort of stuff to, to help with your economy. But if you still want the ability to drive your Lexus as a performance car, you still have that ability, um, you know. And it's kind of that kind of uh, that kind of thing. So uh, I'm kind of intrigued to see how the market goes um, and what the interest is. But I think it'll be pretty strong uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's uh, well look. We'll just uh, wait and see uh, for that one. But it, it sounds it sounds in, it sounds like a good step in the right direction uh, for what they're doing. So yeah, good on good on your Maserati. Good step. Um, look, we probably should have covered up uh, covered it a little bit earlier. But um, Audi have snuck in the RS Q3 again, launching on um, uh, the 24th of July. But the RS Q3 and the RS Q3 Sportback. Um, so it starts from about ninety thousand dollars or ninety two nine hundred for the for the Sportback. It's a uh, this is where it gets me really paying attention 294 kilowatts of power from a 2.5 liter five cylinder um had a lot of power a lot of performance and a, and a great sounding five cylinder engine for 100 grand yeah and you got me at five cylinder ash you know the five yeah. cylinder in the in the previous q3 mm-hmm. um is or the previous rsq3 is just unbelievable it's kind of audi audi quattro uh back to the group b rally days kind of noise so um i really like this design it, it, it's kind of a breakaway from the previous design language that they had with the rsq3 um and i really like this kind of style the fact that they brought in this sports back version um <laughs> and the fact that it's got this really cool green color uh, that they've done, um, yeah, it's it's brilliant, and it I think 
that's the thing is we talked about sort of e-tron and stuff like that with Audi's design language and what they've done. Um, and they've really come a long way. And I really like this sort of style and, and stuff like that. They, this new aggressive front end and this sports back style um, just looks so good. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, this green really stands out. There's also a red version in the, in the press kit as well, but, um, yeah, the RSQ3 was, a was a good looking, looking model previously, yeah. but this new, this new design language is just, you know, next level, really. <laughs> mm. Mm. Oh, it's going to be a, a rocket ship yeah. um, for, for the size. Um, um, sport, the Sportback has got a few people, you know, I think uh, some people are excited about it, some people aren't. I think it looks so good. The Kermit Green they've got going on. Um, I've seen a RS3 um, in that color, and it looks great. It certainly grabs attention. You don't go unnoticed at all. Um and I think the thing is, is that with this sort of design, I think that um, I, I think people will be certainly sort of interested to either go for that Larry Color or they'll go the, yeah. the standard. But we've talked about it before with a couple of the other recent Audi um, additions. I need to speak to my uh, my friends at Audi and uh, and, and say hello. Um, I know you're probably going to be busy with some of the other stuff that you've got requests, but uh, can I get in? Can I get in line? Because I'm really keen yeah. to, to drive this, you know, mm. the, this this RS model and and what it'll do. So it's in dealers from sort of next week. Um, but I have and, a friend. And it's interesting because it is the Q3. It is that smaller. Um, SUV, so it's not like the the Q5, which really goes up against the the um, the X3 and, and and that kind of thing. Um, so this is kind of a model that we don't really get a, a chance to experience from a few of the other makes. Maybe Mercedes with their AMG, the GLA 45, but um, certainly nothing from from BMW. They get close with the uh, the M um, like the M performance model, but not anywhere near these types of level performance for the money. No, um, because BM, like if you look at, we talk about BMW, BMW don't do, you know, they do a, um, they do a performance model in that sort of X5 series, but they don't do really do, they do, they do an X5 well, they've, and they've X4. Got the, they've got the X3M, um, but yeah, nothing in that smaller like X, no. X1 or X2. Yeah, exactly. Which is um, kind of what this space. kind of three yeah. uh, is kind of space. Yeah. In, in, yeah. The, in, in that space, in, in that space, a hundred thousand isn't, you know, it's not cheap, um, but you know, if you are looking at a at an RS3 and you do want that little bit of extra space because you do have a, a small family or anything, but still want a package like this, you know, it, it's certainly not a, a bad thing to consider. You know, to get the best of both worlds, really. Yeah. Or as you spoke before, it's you know that 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 dink kind of thing. It's double income, no kids. Yeah. Um, or you have a you know, and your kid is a is a dog. This is the perfect set of, and you want something that's performance. It's the perfect car, like you know, for for us being, we are that double income, no kids, but no dog. This is the for me. This has been a dream for a few years. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine had one for a while as a as a runabout. His wife drove it um, as their sort of daily in that respect, and and he had the the larger. 
model in the family for the tow vehicle, um, this thing would be fun. So, yeah, uh, my friends at Audi, I will certainly be in touch soon, I think, to, to try and get in the queue to, to drive one of these because I'm really keen. To, mm. to drive to drive one of these. I mean, I'm even keen to drive just the the Q3 Sportsback um, in yeah. terms of what it is, because I'm intrigued to see what it's like as a having driven briefly a, a Q3. I'm intrigued to see what the Sportsback's like um, and, and what it has to offer in, in terms of that model. But Ash, this has been a pretty full on sort of whack of mm. of local news tonight and we're we're now going to head into to some international news and probably for me one of the main things i wanted to talk about all week um and there's one word for it it's the bronco yeah so it's not just uh one bronco not two broncos but three bronco models that um that ford have shown off and and obviously you know this is something we've been expecting for a long time um and you know we've spoken about it on the on the podcast that you know we've had high hopes that maybe we will um see it come down under but um but look at the at the start of the week, uh, Ford finally revealed um, through a very well put together video. I loved it, um, and uh, if you've watched it on your phone, if you haven't seen it yet, I definitely recommend whack it on the TV. It is a beautifully put together bit of video, um, but it really highlights um, and goes through this uh, new two and four door Bronco, which are very much um, you know if if you haven't seen it yet, jump online and check it out. But um, it, it really goes after that Wrangler market. So it's got removable doors, removable roof, um, super focused um, four-wheel drive capability. Um, it's got the engines, EcoBoost engines to back it up. Um, huge range of uh, practicality in terms of um, even down to, to maximizing technology. So using... Um, so in America, they'll have trail maps loaded and you can even make your own trails and, and record those GPSs, but also use the cameras on board to also video it at the same time. So you can download that and watch that later. Um, the the four-door version, actually, if you take all the doors off, you can actually fit it into the boot, um, which I think is one of those things which... Yeah, I'm sure some Wrangler owners out there have, have gone through that experience where you want to take everything off and they're going, well, where do I put it? You've got to find a spot in the garage where you're not going to scratch, ding or anything, but this has got a spot to put it. Um, it, it it's not just... And I think the biggest takeaway in why so many American journalists are, are desperately trying to put a, a deposit down to buy one in amongst the the other people who who crashed the website putting a deposit down um, is that not only have, in my opinion anyway, nailed the the, the styling to, to pay you know respect to the Bronco name and brand, but also you know they've gone to that that retro future, very forward looking design as well, but have actually you know they've also delivered on um, you know they spent a lot of time on working towards you know a very capable 
um, off-road vehicle as well. And, um, yeah, I think it looks great, fantastic. And then they've also brought in, which I kind of wasn't really expecting. I didn't – I wasn't really paying too much attention, but it was actually hiding in plain sight and in, in a lot of the teasing as well is the Bronco Sport, which in I, I kind of think of it as it, it goes uh, – if, if the, the two and four to Bronco was – going after the the new Wrangler the Bronco Sport was definitely going after you know things like the new Discovery Sport and, and that kind of thing where it doesn't have as powerful of engine as uh, the four the two and four door Bronco but it has um, a very much uh, and, and Joel you probably agree it, a, a lot more of a family orientated um, adventuring type of vehicle where um, you know it's all about fitting in mountain bikes and in equipment on the roof and um it might not have the same level of articulation as the as the other broncos but it's certainly going to get you you know most places um and uh doing it in a in a fairly uh, i'd imagine a cost-effective way as well um but what do you think uh Joel, it's a look. I've been I've been excited since since day one since Ford announced, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was I can't remember whether it was I'm pretty sure it was New York or LA a couple of years ago when they announced it, and it was we talked about it last week mm. that they were announcing at the same time as they announced. I'm pretty sure the Ford GT and the GT350 Mustang that the Bronco was coming, and we've known it's been coming uh, for a while, and it's been exciting. There's been lots of leaks and stuff like that in terms of pictures and whatever else. But, you know, until we actually finally see it, we finally see the press photos and, and we see this vehicle, and it is absolutely stunning. There's no doubt that Ford are chasing after that Jeep Wrangler market. Yeah. Um, it is and they're confident ab- about it too because unlike Extremely confident. Seen- um, you know, when you're looking at the the media site, they don't just put up photos of the car or even, you know, like, oh, here's some here's some basic, you know, 50-50 views of, you know, the gear that's underneath. They they they've released some extremely detailed photos of everything that's running um under the under the skin of these things, which I haven't seen very many um, car makers do in images. I've seen them do it at press mm-hmm. launches, um, but not just in like here's some super high res um, photos. Have at it and and pick it apart because you know they've got that level of confidence. I think it's yeah, it's amazing. They've gone all they've gone all out. The spec levels that they've released as well around this model and between the two and the four door, like straight away they've done. Two and four door, and like you said, Ash, they've also done the Bronco Sport, which is a, effectively a, a milder version of the Bronco, um, which is extremely impressive that they've gone down that way. Um, the spec levels that they've offered as well on this vehicle is just mind blowing. Um, when the when the this launched um, during the week, uh, a few of my my American Journo friends were really excited because obviously they've got the ability to, to secure uh, a deposit. And there's a couple of guys that I know and just through general circuits of conversation that there's there's probably quite a few guys I know now that have now placed orders. Um, you know, the, the first edition, they did a limited edition that combines the best of Bronco models. It was only 3,500 editions available with a unique hood and body side graphics. Um, it has the Sascots package and 35-inch tyres and leather trim seats. 
Um, and that's sold out. That that's gone already. Like the yeah. Sasquatch package is really, really popular um, in terms of what it what it offers. Um, and the thing is that they've they've also worked um, in that video. They they extensively covered as well as that um, throughout this obviously this development period. And they showed off. Um, I think it was Mark Levine is the one of the guys working on this project. He he's been sharing some great stuff on 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 Twitter from his account. Um, but talking about how some of the you know the prototypes that were in the the video are all featuring um aftermarket parts that should be available at some point in time and i did say like oh it'd be great if you could release a list so um because i'm sure there'll be plenty of people wanting to go and emulate those and i'd love to know those exact parts but it's also like even from the get-go it seems like there's going to be a huge amount of um aftermarket stuff available to to make these vehicles completely your own um and to suit your needs and 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 they've built this vehicle considering that as well a lot of um and we've started to see that a little bit more where they're embracing um the aftermarket like even toyota with the super and and the 86 you know they they made a lot of effort to go we know that people are going to play with uh this vehicle so we're going to actually work with them from the get-go and ford have done that again with these vehicles and, and said look we've involved those those aftermarket teams um to to make sure that you know our customers have what they want from day one rather than the aftermarket guys having to you know fight amongst customers to to get a vehicle and then to start their prototyping and to start the building um so yeah it's it, it's exciting not just if you want to buy the vehicle and drive it great but if you if you want to modify and tinker you're going to have that available from day one as well well, that's the thing is that Ford have gone out from day one and, and offered the most amazing equipment list and options to be able to do. They're not just one spec, there's seven specs available. There is a base, a big bend, a black diamond, an outer banks, a badlands, a wild track, and then obviously the first edition. And the first edition is obviously already sold out. There's two different engine choices. There's a 2.3 litre EcoBoost, which is the same engine that was available in the Mustang, and then a 2.7 litre EcoBoost engine with a 10-speed automatic. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're, what they're calling their nickname, the GOAT, which is go anywhere, traction control option. Um, yeah, it, like Ford have gone unbelievably above and beyond than what people were expecting with this yeah. Bronco. Um, oh, there you go. I found it. More than 200 factory factory backed is the important yeah. things. Factory backed aftermarket accessories. I, like everything you can think of, you know. Um, sorry, GOAT stands for goes over any t- type of terrain. Um, you know, they've just they've just absolutely nailed it. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've talked about the two and the four-door Bronco, but the sport, like you said, Ash, is just based around kind of that Land Rover Discovery option. But it's 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 even better. It, it still has that goat ability. Um, it's four by four, it's got that ability to go anywhere um, and do what it needs to do with options, just some of there's so many options and specifications that you can kind of tick the boxes for. Um, you know, it's trial control, you know, steel wheels and stuff like that. Like it is absolutely mind blowing with what they've achieved and what they've done with this model. Um, the, the, just the conversation this week between, you know, automotive journalists and stuff 
around America and stuff has just been absolutely mind-blowing yeah. with what they're talking about, how improved it is. A journalist friend of mine in the US was able to go and have a look at one uh, and spend time with one and, and do a full walk around. He wasn't able to drive it, but he was able to do a full walk around. And just the attention to detail that Ford have done with it and what they've been able to achieve is just so impressive. Um you know, it, it, they've, they've just done this amazing job um, with what they've been able to achieve. And, yeah, mm. look, you know, the underlying pinning of this thing is that it's um, – it's that it's designed to go after that Jeep market, but it's it's just it's done Which so is much. A huge market, over yeah. The US, it's a by massive way. market. If you're not aware, it is huge yeah. in America. And, and I think the thing is, is that the the for us in Australia is that it was based on the Ranger architecture and and part of its driveline and, and off road suspension system is based on what we what they achieve with the Rangers. So, in theory, we'd like to think that maybe one day we might see these down under, and I think they'd be really popular mm. because we have such a strong four by four culture in Australia. I'd love to see it, but you know, as as you and I discussed before the show or offline, I think that because the demand for this thing and, you know, the first edition's already sold out and there's been massive demand, I think it might take them, you know, unlike the Mustang where they knew from day one they were going to offer it in, in right-hand drive and they then had to wait at least 12 months before they could mm. convert the... Um, you know the, the 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 build line over to to be able to do that right hand drive. I, I'd like to think that Ford are going to obviously do a couple of years maybe where they'll offer it Bronco purely in left hand, but then they might shift the production to right hand. I'd really love to see this thing come down under. I know that I would definitely sign up for a, for a four door if that option became available because of what it is and looking in the space of it in the back. There's this this pretty good space. Um, yeah, I'd be really keen to get my hands on one um i'm very going to be very jealous by my u.s friends they're going to have them and and be buying them in the next 12 12 to 18 months um you and know we'll so probably think, have a few sneaky people import one and, and convert yeah, them as well. I know. i've already seen a couple of importers talk about it and say look hey if you want to buy one you've got that ability so let's just see what what happens so um yeah very uh, excited the pricing starts at, i think it was around thirty thousand. i know which is so cheap for what it is yeah so look, yeah, it's um, yeah. When, when you convert that over, it's you know, it, it's not a bargain basement pricing. Like it's not going to be a, a Jimny um in terms no. of that, but um, it is definitely going to. I, I would imagine if uh, if Ford were eventually to bring it over, it would be fairly competitive with um with the Wrangler. Um, probably even you know maybe that undercut it a little bit. Um, it's hard to say but, in terms of how they yeah. build it and what the price but is, but even it if it, even on... if it's competitive to the Jeep, I think it'd be yeah. quite good. Yeah. But uh, but no, very very exciting. Um, can't wait to see uh, when uh, some content creators over in the US and uh, <laughs> you know, like they just go nuts. And because obviously yeah. with um with how you know they. You know, just just how they they do things and and yeah. what they can get away with. Um, you know, they you know we'll, we'll see some pretty amazing things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but look, I'm I'm gonna jump across now because we were talking about um, about uh, Jeep a little bit as as you know as the competitor. But 
so Jeep, whether it's con- convenient or, um, you know, they've been working this in a little while or they just wanted to, to steal a little bit of the limelight, limelight, sorry, um, Jeep have, have int- uh, introducing um, a new 6.4-litre V8 Wrangler, and they're calling it the Rubicon 392 concept. Now, we did touch on it a little bit last week, um, but... It's all about, um, you know, as they say, the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon 392 Concepts V8 engine amps up Jeep fun-to-drive quotient and trail-rated 4x4 capability. Um, now, look, it's one thing to, you know, it's one one hell of a result to be able to fit that V8 into uh, the front part of the the, the Wrangler. And, 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 look, some people probably go, well, why do you need that? Um, but, look, I think... I think it's I think it's about if you th- if you think about the American market and um, their love to uh, you know, just whack a V8 into anything um, you know it, it's going to get a couple of advantages out of this um, whether it is just you know the the improved power and torque that you can get out of that um, by driving through into um, you know their specific axles to get, you know, to maximize out of that two-speed transfer case, the electronic front rear axle lockers, um, those monstrous 37-inch mud terrain tires, and obviously the performance parts. So they're including also a two-inch lift kit um, for Mopar, tweaking the suspension. But how good further. does it look, you know? Oh, like it looks, it looks great. Yeah, um, and we talked about it last week in terms of just that that idea of a concept. We saw a, a Facebook yeah. picture and, you know, of the, but the, of the is, engine. But going like that one step further and not just whacking into your engine but they're actually going no. like they're going further by and it's kind of like the, the Mercedes thing right um, mm. the, the Black Series where they're going hey look this is a concept but um, we're actually putting some thought into it and we're taking it to the next level in terms of we're not just we're not just whacking a new engine in it we're yeah. going we're looking at what what else can we do in terms of this but the yeah. fact is that the, the weird thing is they're calling it a concept when Deep down, you know that they want to be able to produce this kind of yeah. thing, yeah. because the funny thing is, is that in the lead up to this, there was a, there was a lot of talk leading up to it. The picture was released, and then there was everyone was going to to go off and think about thought about what was going to happen and whatever else. And there was a couple of comments that I saw during the week that people talked about that there's already a couple of companies that had already figured out that this six point, this six liter engine would actually fit in the Jeep. So there were a couple of companies that were already doing it. So we know that it's been done. Um, It's amazing that they've fitted into it though. Yeah. But (laughs) the, the, the funny thing is that it's been since 1981 then since the 1981 CJ was the last time they put a V8 in a in a in a, in that kind of style of Jeep. So, yeah. but with like 37 inch um, mud tires and like these things, oh, excuse me, in the photos they are chunky. Yeah, and it still has a zero to hundred time in less than five seconds. Which well, that's the thing. Imagine, we didn't talk imagine about. lining up next to this and then seeing yeah. this thing take off. <laughs> well, we didn't yeah. talk about that with the Bronco. Is that some yeah. of the mods that they've done is those bigger, really bigger inch wheels and so kind of jeep i don't i I don't know whether jeep had some had seen some spy stuff or stuff but to be on the front foot to know to kind of go down this route and to put this kind of concept together is quite is quite interesting but you're right that i look at this and 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 i you know, when you look at this press release, it does read like a new product and not like a concept vehicle. Yeah, 
there seems to be a lot more consideration. Well, it looks very finished as well. Yeah, it looks, you know, when you look at the, you know, they they, they really dive into that, you know, the trail rated capability um, of what, you know, those modifications do in terms of the improved approach angles, departure angles, um, you know, the perform. Yeah, it just it just reads like, you know, almost like they've, they've released this to, to garner, you know, what the response is. Yeah. And then, you know, to probably help shape whether, you know, they, they push the, the button to, to go, yep, let's let's turn this into a production car. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and they know that with the with the Bronco coming out and the interest around that, that for any Jeep person that is kind of thinking about it or whatever else, putting something like a, you know, a V8 engine to something like that, you, you kind of know that for that, performance orientated person i think that you kind of you wouldn't want to go wrong you kind of love that idea yeah. and you'd really want to want to run with it at the end of the day yeah and and look i think it it leans and really shows off how modular this this current wrangler is because you know they do mention the the wide range of different engines and, and options they have. So, you know, like the the eco diesel they've got, um, the Gladiator body, um, the four by e plug in hybrid. So it's like you know they're showing that look, we've got some capability. We can we can make a, a you know in uh, an economical vehicle. You know, in the hybrid, we can put a diesel in it if we want, um, and we can put a you know a, a V eight into it, um, and I think it probably will really show off. Just hey, look, we can do it. We're capable. Yeah, um, we're thinking outside of the box, and we're open yeah. to this kind of discussion and idea at the end of the day. Exactly. But look, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I, I would love to see it. Mm. Um, you know the the four by e which they're they're showing off is um is is pretty interesting. It's the next bit of news that we'll touch on um, before we sort of look at wrapping up and, and and catching this next practice session of the Hungarian GP. Um, but yeah, they're they're going down the route of of introducing that four by e. Um, you know, two hundred and forty horsepower with a, a turbocharged one point three liter inline four engine. You know, paired up with an electric motor. You do plug it in to to recharge the battery. I don't see anywhere they mention what type of um, range you might get out of or, or what specific. No, because they're talking about that it won't be released like a bit of until yeah. later later in the week. The, there's talk that it'll be released early next week. So it's probably something that we will cover probably more next yeah. week yeah. but they've released a couple of teasers and stuff um you know they're saying let sleeping dogs lie and horses too coming soon so the electrified wrangler 4xe so i think that'll be something that we'll probably talk more about next week but i i'm excited that jeep are looking at going down that route because yeah we've talked about the fact that you know suvs and trucks and whatever else are growing more and more in that into that electrification mm. you know market and stuff like that um yeah, it, it, it's interesting. So hopefully we'll have uh, more of that to talk about next week. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the same brand, Ash, the, there's kind of been a new relationship formed with um, FCA and PSA, and they're going to call it Stellantis. Yeah, so if you haven't – if you don't keep up, so – a couple of, and we're talking about a couple of big groups of um, of uh, brands here. So Fiat Chrysler um, and uh, Peugeot, 
basically they've got a 50-50 um, merger that's happening. And so obviously, uh, otherwise you'd end up with the FCA-PCA group and um, it's not doesn't really quite roll off the tongue. Stellantis probably, you know, it doesn't roll off the tongue as easily either. No, but I think it's cool um, that they've gone but, away from being yeah. that kind yeah. of, you know, sort of the Renault-Nissan um, alliance and things like that by, by creating their own name, like yeah. Stellantis. It's funny, a, a journal friend of mine decided to do a bit of a quiz, you know, in that relationship. What would you like to see the Stellantis name become part of a model range. And mm. the kind of favorite was, uh, was quite, was quite interesting in terms of what they ended up doing in, in picking in terms of what that is um, across their models. It was kind of a, a Chrysler based, yeah, you know, Chrysler based so, model. So he, he thought that if you're going to, what sounds better, bigger, better for a bigger FCA flagship sedan, Thinking BFF two, do you call it the Chrysler Stellantis, the mm. Alfa Romeo Stellantis, the mm. Maserati Stellantis, or the Fiat Stellantis? And the votes that he got, and he got, and it was the Chrysler Stellantis. So, yeah. um, hats off to my mate Robbie DeGraff uh, at Robbie underscore DeGraff for the cool little uh, quiz that he did during the week. Um, but yeah, it's I like it. The Chrysler Stellantis is a mm. as a bigger sedan. It's kind of makes a cool name yeah. for it. But it yeah, it's part of that relationship, and we know that sort of what the stuff that PSA have kind of created them and PSA are obviously now doing stuff that that's owned by Opal and, and their bigger Peugeot brand models and, and some of the stuff that they're, they're, they're creating. So well, I'm it's, ex- a, it's a huge stuff. group of brands now. Yeah. So if, you, if you're not familiar, so you're going to have um, uh, joining party, part of this group from, from Fiat Chrysler. It includes um, Arbath, Alpha, Chrysler, Dodge, Fiat, the Fiat Professional Vehicles, Jeep, Lancia, Ram, and Maserati, um, as well as, you know, they do the parts and services under Mopar, um, which, you know, is a lot more familiar over in the States. Um, and then the Group PSA, that includes the the Peugeot, Citroën, um, DS, Opel, and Vauxhall, um, as well as, you know, all of their associated um services so it's a huge group of um brands that fit under that and um surely there's going to be some advantages that come out of that um i'm sure the the perso like the psa brands are really going to help um even you know you think about arbath alpha and fit you know there's going to be some some alliances that can can form there um because of the smaller vehicles but um yeah it it it's it, it makes a pretty big um, group of brands as a as a force, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm keen to see what kind of relationship it extends yeah. out of. You know, like my mate Robbie has said, know that some of these don't really, you know, in in a traditional sense, mergers don't always work, and, no. and usually don't don't. But end if they up were the to form some kind of like Robbie, my mate Robbie has said, in terms of being able to do a bigger sedan. Like you know, based on a Peugeot platform, you know, with a under Chrysler branding and something like that, yeah. it kind of opens them some interesting relationships. You know, yeah. a bigger version of the Stelvio and um, the Julia and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it makes for it makes for very interesting interesting sort of analysis in terms of what's going to go go further. But um, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what it sort of brings. Mm. 
Nice. So it's um, and look, let's let's wrap up our, our news um with a with a I guess it's a nice little um. It's a shame Mickey's not here to comment on it though, yeah, because he's been so driving he's been one driving. this week. Yeah. So the um the Kona Electric um which is the I guess probably the the leading model you know sort of flagship model for Hyundai at the moment in terms of their EVs has a hit you know the 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 milestone of 100,000 global sales um, which is pretty pretty impressive given that the vehicle itself isn't you know isn't that old it, it was globally introduced um, just in March 2018 um, you know and it's only been about three quarters of that time internationally outside of Korea so it's a pretty pretty impressive um sort of growth growth rate in terms of sales it has won a lot of awards as well we have you know we've we've certainly um spoken well that it is one of those vehicles which um borrows basically you know 99 percent of the kona design throws an electric drivetrain under there gives you about 450 to 500 kilometers of range and um does a very good job in general and um pricing isn't bad so yeah it's a it's a good sell it's a good milestone it's um i think it means a lot to, to reaffirm that there are a lot of um yeah that's a lot of sales for just a single model i need to drive one again I've driven one briefly and I want to drive yeah. one again. So mm. I know Mickey's been driving one this week, so we'll hear probably more from him. So the next week, but I'm keen to get behind the wheel and, and, and drive it again. But um, we go from uh, talking a little bit of electric to back to motorsport ash. Yes. Well, um, I've got the, the window open of the <laughs> free practice right now. It Me too. A it's a bit, bit wet. wet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but uh, it's, it's great seeing, I think, um, uh, we had a, a quite a different race um, yeah. for the for the Styrian Grand Prix or the the Austrian Grand Prix Take Two, and um, I think it's really highlighting how competitive that midfield is. Oh yeah, um, even with Force India, kind of you know a few people saying mm, maybe they're not midfield anymore. Um, you know, no, they're almost top three, I reckon. Yeah, but uh, but we've had a lot of drama. We've had um, you know we've had a little bit more about um driver movement so so williams just today uh confirmed that both uh george russell and uh latifi are both staying for next season um and there's a little bit of commentary around you know george russell might not be as happy um about staying in williams um the comment that he put out he's usually pretty diplomatic but he was a bit he was a bit on the nose and in, in some of his you know choice of words when he was talking about um staying for the next season about how well look you know his contract is with Williams and you know if that's what they want you know he, he'll do it um, but look I, I guess you know does this mean um, following the results he he did make it into Q2 with a Williams vehicle it, it does show signs of improvement for Williams yeah, I think it's a, it's good um, and hopefully if it does continue to rain maybe they, they'll get that advantage again um, you know in qualifying and hopefully a wet race that'd be even better for them i assume um but does this does this mean that you know is bodas likely to to remain at mercedes for next year and then maybe we'll see george russell given that he is a a mercedes driver um development driver and part of that program that we'll see him in mercedes in in 2022 
it's wide open at the moment, I think, Ash, in terms yeah. of what's going to happen because obviously rules don't change too much for next year, but no. they all change the year after. Um, Bottas has come out and si- said that he's signed for next year with Mercedes. So Mercedes have a sort of an untrained lineup for next year. Um, but, you know, a lot of Racing the teams... Point. They could the be, racing, the racing a, point is an interesting one because they've been talking that well, they're saying that Aston Martin, because that's what they become next yes. year, is talking with Vettel. Um, and I was having a conversation with a couple of other colleagues during the during the day today. You know, look, obviously, <laughs> Racing Point slash Aston Martin's owned by Lance Stroll. Um, well, Lawrence Stroll. La- yeah, Lawrence Stroll, that. sorry, with his <laughs> son Lance driving. Um, so, you know, you kind of think that Lance is kind of safe for a drive. But Perez had a blinder of a weekend last last weekend, and he's been an absolutely brilliant drive. I think he's having the ability to really stretch his legs and drive really well at, at Racing Point at the moment. You'd be stupid, I think, to replace... Um, Perez with Vettel because Vettel apparently is having discussions. Um, well, I think that, that unfortunately with with having Stroll as one of the drivers really puts him in a bit of a corner because mm. if if you were to look at you know their their performances and um, you know their each of the driving sort of their CV, you'd go oh, if if there wasn't that family tie, the yeah. ultimate lineup for for Racing Point would be throw Vettel in a four time world champion and Perez, who seems to be on a really hot streak and coming mm. up to the peak of his career, he's got plenty and, of experience. and understands the car and knows how to drive exactly. it as well. He's been he's been with Force India Racing Point. For a very long time, mm. um, he's obviously bringing some good financial backing as well, and he's extremely um, comfortable with the team as well. Yeah, because so he 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 un- he understands he's got a relationship. We were talking about this today in, mm. in a conversation that when I think he was at McLaren, he was probably suffering under the pressure of yeah. being you know and in that situation where you know Force India slash you know Racing Point have grown over the last few years, and he's come up from there so it's given him ability to grow and shine um yep. you're right i think that the optimal lineup is perez and, and vettel but you know if you're look stroll stroll yeah as, as you know a lot of people like say well he's a, he's you know it's a bit of a waste of um you know a, a spot and i go maybe maybe not he he, he is okay he's not amazing um you know, in a in a semi decent vehicle. But in saying um, that, Ash, he's but, currently fourth in practice. So, um, yeah. But so, no, so but I mean, like, yeah. He he, you know, he's not setting things on you know things alight, but mm. he's he is he, he is decent. I think a lot of people don't give him credit that he have, you know he perhaps probably deserves. Mm. Um, but as but as Racing Point, do you do you take the money? You know, Racing Point at the moment slash Aston Martin. Aston Martin is already kind of involved in helping Aston Martin as a business, as a vehicle brand, yeah. trying to excel. Do you take and spend money that you would spend on paying Vettel, which his contract's not going to be cheap? Do no. you put the money into paying him as a driver, or and losing Perez, and where's Paul Perez going to go? Yeah. Um, you know, to then 
well, look, as a know, risk from, from, where, from you know, a, it's kind of like it's a, a really weird. I saw a really good post on Reddit and um, they were talking about the, the genius of, um, of Lawrence Stroll as a, as a business person where they didn't really, you know, a lot of people don't really give him credit where, um, you know, he, he's been very strategic in, in how he has basically come into Formula One and been able to essentially end up buying a team through, you know, a consortium of a different, a few, you know, a number of different people. And, you know, he's leveraged his way into Aston Martin, has provided a line of credit to them. And basically, by bringing those two things together, is obviously going to help improve Aston Martin's um, position. So he increased his ownership share to ensure that he basically could get them as a as a title sponsor by helping solve some of their um, cash flow you know and liquidity issues and um, and then has basically brought this to a point where Aston Martin can then now you know start to, to develop itself and, and to, to slightly change itself as a desirable sports car brand by leveraging off, you know, Formula One and its presence in there and how if they were to bring in Sebastian, that would be almost like a, a masterstroke because, um, you know, you, you then get to create this level of brand um, affinity and uh, I guess legitimacy by doing that. Um, and I th- and, and they laid it out a lot more eloquently um, than I did just then. But I was like, oh yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. And and, and from, yeah, look, a, from a insane, racing point, because ins- you you're not you know Formula One teams aren't there to make money. They they huh. cost a lot of money to operate, and that's why they need sponsors. Um, but the way that Stroll has sort of been able to position the two um, should be able to you know help each other can't um you know sort of be successful on that in that side and um you know stroll lance stroll doesn't really add a lot of clout to the to you know to that lineup and and where someone like vettel would um and even you know compared to to perez from a marketable point of view um Perhaps for for people who who might be buying Aston Martins, would would find you know Sebastian more of a relatable character compared to to, to Perez. I'm not saying that that's that's necessarily um you know the right thing, wrong thing, or whatever. But you know that's a way that they perhaps could be seeing it. And if um yeah, so I don't know. It's it's it'd be interesting because you know everyone's playing it coy, and um, apparently we probably won't hear more until the end of the month, um, even on on where that's at. So yeah, it's a it's it's a weird time because we've hardly seen any of these cars on the on the track. Um, you know, and and we are still so focused on next year, and even with no. Um, no regulation changes is going to be some significant changes. Obviously, with driver lineups, we've got um, McLaren that's been on an absolute hot streak with um, their performances. Lando Norris again last lap. Norris um, with his with his passes and performance. You know that those last couple of laps, but they're switching to to Mercedes engines. Um, like there's so much happening. Um, and, and so much planning that's going ahead. Uh, it's kind of like, yeah, we we want to we want to see the racing, we want to see the thing, but man, uh, let's just see a little bit more of the drama to see, you know, how the next, you know, twelve to twenty four months is really going to to play out. 
Yeah, it makes for interesting thinking when you look when you look at it from that point of view, from an Aston Martin mm. point of view, having someone like Patel as a brand ambassador as well. Uh, I hadn't thought about it in that sense that he is a good brand ambassador and would be an interesting person to put into that point because he yeah. comes with a bit of. Um, clout in terms of that background um so yeah you know you look at what aston aston martin did with um previously when they were involved with red bull and stuff like that um and what they kind of did with the you know with daniel ricardo and stuff like that so um so, yeah. racing point and and have- verstappen so with the with the with the freeze on certain amount of development for for next season, um, Racing Point basically, if if nothing you know if if nothing sort of comes out of the the protests that that Renault put in about yeah. you know certain aspects of the design, including the the brake ducts, um, if if nothing is found wrong with that, and they get to sort of keep what they they're doing right now. They've extremely lucked out for the next season because they've not yeah. only they've been able to take a huge risk on developing a car which they have, which has turned out so far to be fairly competitive, um, and they'll they'll get to to reap the rewards of you know the updated Mercedes engine with all the upgrades that come yeah. over that time, and so they'll actually be able to manage and and maximise those savings and good performances. Um, you know, like they've, they've ended up compared to Ferrari where, you know, with their engine at the moment, you know, I think uh, the latest numbers that were kind of calculated show that there, there were about in qualifying trim about 50 horsepower down um, compared to, to the Mercedes and um, not as much in racing trim, but in qualifying trim, they were significantly down and they're hamstrung by the regular regulation limits for the next season in, in how many modifications that can be made. Um, and so it seems like Ferrari have lost out because perhaps, you know, the thought, you know, some of the theories out there is that they've focused so much on the new regulations that were coming that basically they wanted to get, you know, they went all in on, on that car because before the cost caps and everything come in and um yeah it's a uh, i don't know it's just very interesting a lot of things happening behind the scenes which unfortunately we won't really get to to see much of just because of the nature of how formula one works um but yeah it's it's going to be just a, a super fascinating time because obviously it it will either turn into um you know some pretty big uh results out on the track or obviously a lack of results mm. uh for a lot of teams such as ferrari because you know where does ferrari come back from here yeah exactly um, we haven't seen ferrari as a midfield team for a very very long time no um and it's kind of you know it, it is a bit of a weird thing to to see particularly mm. with the caliber of drivers they've had yeah exactly i mean and we talked back to last weekend you know they they you know the whole the two teammates effectively taking each other out yeah. and wasn't the best result for them but no. it was a great it was a great race um obviously hamilton took the win but it was great battle for for the lower downs but you know, uh, we're hoping that we'll see another great race again this mm. weekend, being at a different track now that we're at Hungary. But I think the, one of the biggest talking points from last weekend was not about the race, but was about no. the trophy delivery ash. Yeah, the uh, was it the the robot delivery system? 
Yeah, so they actually had like a effectively a podium that was controlled by remote control yeah. that delivered the, the trophies to each uh, each driver, which was pretty cool to see. And they're obviously trying to do the best they can with mm. sort of social distancing, and and it's all done on the grid now, and they're, they're trying to really give as much social distancing. But I, I shared a video during the week of the, the the footage of one of the the delivery robots sending it and out, and someone actually commented that sure, it's good for what they're doing in terms of that but the crowd of team people and stuff like that standing around at, at the um watching it all was kind of very close but the, yeah. the rule is at the moment for the track is that you know you can't enter unless you wear a mask all the time so mm. and we know what the way that masks are being used and being told that you know it, it, it's designed to be if everyone's wearing a mask the ability for it to spread um is quite limited so you know i think that they they're trying everything they can. Um, I know this weekend, particularly in Hungary, it's even more serious yeah, in the, the, very the, the local laws in, in Hungary are very strict in, in terms of offering, obviously, jail time if you're if you're not following rules and stuff mm. like it's that. Like a fifteen thousand euro, yeah, point, or, or like jail that. time. So yeah. it's pretty serious. But look, it, it was cool to see. I'm intrigued to see whether the robot returns this weekend for for our podium presentations and mm. stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll give you a bit of more report next weekend on on yeah. or next week and what's happening. But um, there's a lot more happening in terms of uh, Australian motorsport at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, we have our next round of the um, supercars this weekend. Um, it's gone back to Sydney Motorsport Park because obviously with the restrictions in Victoria at the moment, they weren't allowed to run at... Um, at Winton, they had to postpone and move around back to Sydney Motorsport Park. But because the lights have now been installed at Sydney Motorsport, we're actually going to get a night race tomorrow night, um, Saturday night, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's going to be no spectators this weekend. Um, they've had to limit the numbers because there has been a small outbreak in New South Wales mm-hmm. in the immediate vicinity of Sydney Motorsport Park. So right. it's a bit of a shame that um, there'll be no further general admission um, or additional grandstand seating. Look, uh, which, which seems pretty reasonable. Given- oh, look. I totally understand that. So for what supercars are doing and and what they're trying to do and and trying to protect everyone and they're very strict in terms of what they're doing in terms of limiting people and access and stuff like that, you kind of have to do it to to, to let their round run and for the rounds to continue to run Mm. in the future weeks, you kind of need to do it. Um, You know, I I saw a post today from Sydney Motorsport Park that they were trying to offer a ballot for members of the Australian Racing Drivers Club and they've had to suspend that, um, you know, being able to do the park and view thing. Look, they, they need to do this. Um, unfortunately for fans not to be able to attend, it's a shame. Um, it will be only shown on um, Fox Sports and KO. Um, mm-hmm. KO is obviously a cheaper way to get into it. But what they're talking about now is that we're possibly going to get a double header um, at Darwin. Um, and that we'll basically be able to have that ability to possibly have um, two races in Darwin. And they're talking about Darwin will actually be on free-to-air TV as well, um, which will be be great. The other thing is is that... um, all the Victorian New South Wales teams, they're going to push them to move across the border into Queensland 
as of next week. Um, so they're going to have to move um, out of New South Wales because the kind of so rules that the rules that New South yeah. the Queensland are enforcing at the moment and and not allowing people, particularly from Victoria, but also now from those hot that spots. have been in those yeah. hotspots which are near Sydney Motorsport Park, mm. they're going to make them move across the border into Queensland so that it'll make it easier for them to then head across to Darwin for the next round and then obviously mm. back to Townsville uh, for the next round. So, look, I've got to give massive hats off to supercars and all the teams for what they're doing um for the, the for the teams that are from victoria that are having to be away from their families and their friends and and whatever else it's been massive i mean the afl are going through the same sort of the same sort of thing at the moment um look they're, they're doing the best they can they're trying as best as we can to be able to provide this sport to us um you know, for the fans, you can't attend. Look, you know, for the small amount of money, I know there's a lot of people who are suffering at the moment in terms of dollars and, and you know, out of job, you know, the, the millions of people that are out of work, unfortunately, in Australia, it's, it's pretty tragic. But for the motorsport fans, you know, KO is, it is cheap and you, you can kind of watch it uh, online. Um, we will probably hopefully see Darwin and maybe a few other rounds on free-to-air, which is great for the fans. Um, but yeah, look, supercars are trying as best as they can to try and appease all teams. They're trying to, to keep the series running like AFL is currently and, and, and NRL. Um, but yeah, it, it, like I've got to give them hats off. They're, tr- they're trying their best as they can. Um, you know, we've even had a change in race director for this weekend. Tim Schenken hasn't been able to make it to New South Wales due to restrictions. So James Taylor, who is, I must admit, a very good friend of mine, uh, and he is the deputy director of supercars, and now will be um, the race director for this weekend's event. And I've got to say, I'm extremely proud of of one of my mates becoming race director for the supercars for the weekend. James cool. is an amazing <laughs> bloke. Um, he's been race director of the Twelve Hour. He's a hard worker. Um, he's an amazing motorsport official. And look, I almost cried during the week when I saw that he was going to be become director of the supercars because he's he, he's a good mate and he's done an amazing job over the last few years of what he's done. So yeah. I'm super proud. I sent him a text message during the week and said, good on you, buddy. Um, I'm so, you know, so happy for you. It was even a change of um, doctor, um, the normal doctor, Dr. Carl, who has been a supercars doctor for years. Um, he's made the decision not because he can't travel, like he's purely allowed to travel because he is a medical official and he has the ability to do it. He said, no, no, no. I can't travel. I need to stay. Victoria is in a in a crisis at the moment. I am a director mm. of a couple of emergencies. I need to stay. I need to do my job. And he's his sub has stepped up to do the same thing this weekend, and and will step yeah. up to become you know doc, doctor for the supercars mm. series. And 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 that's the thing is that so many people are trying to do as much as they can uh, in this kind of crisis at the moment. Um, but yeah, yeah, as I said, it's amazing to see the number of people that are stepping up to, to try and make this happen. The fact that the Vic New South Wales teams have to head north next week. Um, I read today that Tickford are going to look at going to SeaWorld <laughs> to base mm-hmm. themselves out of. Um, 
you know, for anyone that's supporting these teams and being able to move into to, to Queensland, I know that um, Norwell and Paul Morris were trying to help as much as they can in helping teams. So, look, it's just amazing to see that our sport continue. Um, we've seen it F1 with what they're trying to do and trying to keep the number of teams and, and what they're able to do in terms of being able to do it in different tracks and stuff like that. So, you know, all these guys involved, it's just brilliant that we're able to see our motorsport passion continue. Yeah, look, it's 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 tough, and, and even you know there was a great piece um, that Richard Krause shared um, today that someone I can't remember who it was. I, I don't have the link in front of me right now, um, but it was a long form piece looking at the uh, the the challenges which these teams are going through, particularly you know the last minute pack up and and leave Victoria, and now obviously the the, the sprint to to Queensland when they can, um, you know it's 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 remarkable given that these teams usually you know it's not F one scale, but um, you know these are serious operations these are professional racing teams, and um, you know it's amazing what they're being able to do um, and achieve. Um, you know, by basically, you know, it, it's like living out of your suitcase, but, you know, for Pretty a much. whole entire racing team, um, you know, you've got a couple of semi trailers and everything you possibly need is in them. And um, if, if you forgot something, well, you have to beg, steal and uh, borrow to, to, to make it happen because you can't just nick to the garage and, and get someone to send it up. No, exactly. And, and look, the, you know, freight is allowed between states, but still, if you need something, you know, leading up to an event, it's very, it's not an easy thing to be able no, to get someone to, no. to jump in a car anymore and drive it no. between states like they used to do. Yeah. Uh, it's not an easy process. No, you're still, you're still limited by um, the... The, the challenges of um, relying on 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 post essentially, mm. um, and and that and they even do face their own challenges at the moment. And um, yeah, it's it's not like being able to just get someone to jump on a plane with the part and they carry on, um, you know, because you can't you can't do that. No, that so yeah, look, it's um yeah, it's uh things are obviously. You know, it's great for us as fans. It's extremely stressful and challenging for um, for for these teams. But it's you know, it's not just Australia; it's globally. F one is um finding a way to, you know to to fairly successfully operate and um, you know, have these races. And um, yeah, look, it, it's I'll look, I'll take it. You know, I'll um I'll be happy to have what we have at the moment. And um, yeah, just uh. We'll see how that goes, but look, um, let's have a little bit of fun just as uh, as we wrap up. Um, this is something that you shared. Um, basically, you know, bring a trailer is a great spot to um, to find some you know interesting and unique uh, unique vehicles. And um, look, you, you gave us a challenge. Um, well, do you want to describe it? Do you want to do you want to describe the challenge that you gave us? Yeah, it's one of those things, Ash. It's like uh, bring a trailer has been in my inbox for a while. You know, my friends in the US introduced it to me years ago, and you know, I've always thought about what. Um, yeah, we've always talked about it. I think, but, but since we started this podcast, it's we've had so much news and stuff like this. We haven't really had a chance to to, to have a bit of a bit of a fun thought. You know, I, I've introduced a couple of challenges, but we've been so in. Dieted with news and, and what's been happening, even though it's been COVID, there's been stuff happening. So uh, I love looking at Bring a Trailer and a couple other sites in terms of looking at secondhand cars. And I, I love 
trawling to see what's out there used. So I thought I'd offer this week, you know, I thought it'd be a quiet week, but I was kind of wrong. There was a bit happening. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, and a couple of other networks that I, I belong to in terms of over, particularly in the US, there's a few guys that love sharing stuff. So I thought this week, let's try something different. Let's look mm. at Bring a Trailer, which is a, a sales site. It's a bit like eBay cars and, and car sales and, and stuff like that, but it's based in the US mm-hmm. and it's an online car, car sales site. But there's some really cool stuff that appears for sale on there. And um, American market it's stuff that's really cheap, like mm. you know, unbelievable prices that we'd love to pay here in Oz, but we just don't get the ability. So <laughs> I, issue, I issue the challenge to to the other to other guys to Ash and Mick this week. Pick your go through, and there was like two hundred odd listings this week, so it's quite a busy site. Yeah, and pick your favourites in, in terms of what there is, and and I uh, I went through and and I narrowed it down to, to quite a few. So my picks this week were there was a 1986 rough, um, you know, which is a German tuner, rough 3.4 powered 1986 Porsche 911, which is quite <laughs> impressive. There was a 10,000. 10,000 mile 1992 Lancia Delta Integrale Evo 1, um, which was another nice choice. And then there was also, and I have a soft spot for these, a 1978 International Harvester Scout 2. Scout 2s are very <laughs> nice and they, they, they're bringing good money these days. Mm-hmm. And this one was kind of a pick that I thought, but this was also a Mickey pick. And I know because Mick's not on tonight, we haven't had the ability to hear what he would have, cho- he would have chosen, but I think I'll hit him up anyway during the week just to see what he would have picked so we can talk about it next week. Mm. But this was a 1991 GMC Cyclone, spelt with an S, S Y C L O N E, which <laughs> okay. is the um, which is a 4.3 litre V6. So they were kind of my picks. And I kind of picked the Cyclone because I was intrigued to see what Mick would pick. But my choice, and it was a standout, and you and I were talking about it off air, Ash, and, mm. and you said this was a standout for you. But mine was a 1976 Audi Fox Wagon. So Audi did this wagon back in in the 1970s, which was called a Fox, and it's a beautiful, absolutely stunning, and we don't see many. The 70s and very early 80s Audi stuff, we don't see a lot of these days, but this thing is an absolute work of art. It's absolutely gorgeous. I have seen actually a... um, a later model Audi on the road here in Oz. But it is absolutely gorgeous. It's had a bit of work. And it's a little bit lowered and, and stuff like that. And I've shared it in the notes, Ash, for you to have it to check it out. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit like a Datsun. Yeah, it does. It, it, but if it wasn't for those four rings at the front, you'd be mm. kind of thinking that it was um, it was a little bit, you know, more Japanese than yeah. European, but yeah, with the with this with its slam status and the wheels, it's um, but yeah, it, it was an easy pick. So currently, it's at seven thousand six hundred dollars <laughs> US dollars. That is, and it's got four days to go. Mm. I'm going to hit my um, watch button to see what it goes for. So I'll uh, I'll report back next week. Um, I need to hit Mick up to see what his pick was. But mm. Ash, you've picked something. Not what I expected. I, I I was intrigued with because there's so much stuff on this site with varying degrees. There was lots of cool stuff. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 oh, you I picked, picked the rough. 
Yeah, so ah, I had to, I had to yeah. have a bit of a laugh when uh, you mentioned that you you came across that because I was like, uh, yeah. I um, left it. I saw that you'd posted in your notes the, the link, and I, I left mm. it purely to the end because I didn't want to spoil what I what I was looking at. But I'm glad yeah. you picked it up because it's look, it's unique. I'm I'm not sure if the fan of the yellow wheels and and stuff, but <laughs> the bodywork for the rough is an is an awesome bit of kit. But that's it. Just under 50 grand with only four hours to go. So we might have to keep an eye on that and see what it yeah. does. But, but rough is... So, um, yeah. Cause so, so what this is, is um, I, I, you can see very, it's been very much um, you know, inspired by the yellow bird. Um, yeah. But so this is the 1986 Porsche 911. Um, They've got a little bit of a story that goes with it. Um, so apparently it was sold in Germany and then um, immediately went under and had some modifications done um, from that owner. So it had a turbocharged 3.4 litre um, rough BTR flat six. It had the rough style body kit um, in that speed yellow multicolored Recaro seat sourced from a 964 RS. Um, That's and then it had a whole heap of other stuff. So then later on, it had um, the roof uh, five-speed manual. So yeah, OZ racing wheels, 993 Brembo brakes. It 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 looks tidy. It looks great. Um, they've got that purple um, you know scheme on the interior. So it's it's look it's it's definitely not going to be um, to to everyone's taste. I, I would imagine it's like you know the the ham uh, wasn't a grimace from McDonald's. You know the purple and the yellow like this. It's it's yeah. kind of like a you know particularly with the red brake calipers. It's kind of like a McDonald's themed grimace car and um it's kind of the reason why i I just loved it like yes it's got the it's got the name you know the tuning name that goes along with it i just don't Uh, think the photos do it justice at the end of the day because it it is designed to be a rough i think that that first image is not really a strong telltale it kind of needs that either that side or that rear three-quarter profile to really show off that rough bodywork um yeah. and that kind of design i'm not a yeah. fan of the the dual purple or triple purple no. steering wheel well, this but is, this is you know one of the commenters and this is a great thing what i love about bringing trailers a lot of people can just leave comments on the auction and um the the latest comment i i loved because it goes look probably wouldn't build this car exactly as it is but i'd sure be thrilled to own and drive it as yeah, it yeah. is um nobody wears crazy colors like a porsche and, and oh, absolutely very 80s um you know and and that's what i loved about it because the thing is like look there's so many cars on here that i could have immediately you know just have um you know just as easily have uh jumped on you know there is a, a 930 turbo um on there there's there's a bunch of the silver ones. yeah yeah um you which know, is funny it's, because there's one at Shannon's as well, which is almost that exact spec and year and yeah, everything right. as well. Because, <laughs> you know, you've got a GT2 Club Sport, uh, an E-Type Jag. Um, you know, there's there's a 911 SC. So, look, you know, particularly, you know, I'm a big fan of Porsches. So it's like, yeah, I, I could have really um, fell in love with that. Or even like, you know, what I've just saw right now you know there's a there's a c10 4x4 chevy yeah um that's been heavily modified and there's a heap of international scouts as well like yeah there was... so there's like a ton of stuff but you know i kind of came back and said look this is this is right up my alley in terms of you know i, I love it just being you know it doesn't have to be the exact colors that i love but you know it's it, it stands out it's it it 
it's got you know the genuine bits underneath it, it it's not you know the exact um yellow bird style but you know they've gone and you know it's got the the proper engine the proper um the the manual transaxle it's got all the the key upgrades that you know really transform it into a being a, a genuine you know uh rough like model um you know it, it it definitely serves justice to that um you know it looks great it looks like it's been well looked after so yeah that's why i um you know and, and it's just its quirkiness with its yeah. its color choice you know not everyone not everyone's gonna love it and that's probably you know the reason why i i like it that that little bit more it was an easy choice and i think for those that are listening you know jump on bring a trailer send us a, a a social tweet or you know an email tell us what your favorite is this week we'd love to hear you know out of the the catalog of cars that are there what you think your favorite would be um i've sent it mickey couldn't join us tonight but i've sent him a message i want to hear what his current favorite is because the stuff turns over quite quickly on that site and and there's quite quite a lot of choice but yeah tell us what you'd think you'd like to you'd like to buy if uh if you were in the u.s and you could uh put the money down and and yeah it's uh there's some the fun choice but we'll uh we'll bring you our favorites next week of uh what's on the site next week yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But um, but look, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. We've we've um, covered a, a ton of news, and um, obviously there's going to be even more news uh, as we go, particularly in the uh, motorsport realm. Um, but look, yeah, as always, if 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 you um, listening want to us to talk about a particular car or review a car or um, any sort of questions, send us an email shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, but look. Uh, Thanks, Joel. And um, look, if you if you want to follow Joel, you can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, um, or you can just follow uh, at Daily Autofix. Um, but but thank you, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks, Ash. We'll speak to you all next week. All right. 